We're grateful that your mercies are new every morning. We're grateful that you forgive all of our iniquities. You heal all of our diseases. You renew our youth daily like the eagles. So, Lord, thank you for all these promises. Now, Lord, help us to realize we're your children. And when we step over into this realm of being one of your children, we must confess the Word of God for it to work for us. We must believe it because you're a faith God. And if you don't believe his word, then it will not work for you. So, Lord, we thank you that you're our Lord and our God. We thank you for these promises. I thank you, Father, for revealing these things to me. And I ask you, Lord, to continue to give me tremendous knowledge and wisdom and revelation, understanding of the Word of God, so that I might be able to present it to your children in such a simple fashion that even the little children down on the lowest shelf can reach and get a hold of these wonderful cookies, your Word, so that they may thrive on them, so they may grow spiritually, and where we may all learn how to walk in all these wonderful things in divine health, and so that as we, the church, start walking in divine health and power and authority and a demonstration of the Spirit's power, everybody that sees us, mainly the lost world, will want what we got and they will come to, to accept our Lord and Savior because they want to walk where we walk. But Lord, until we walk in that, as long as we walk in the same sins and the same things and the same sickness and same disease the world does, the world don't want what we got. But Lord, I ask you to continue to reveal these truths to us so that we will walk in such a demonstration of the Spirit's power that everybody that comes in contact with us will be changed and they will want to know our Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, as we go today, I rebuke the devil and I command Satan and his host, I command them not to steal a word out of anybody's mind or heart here in this place today. Not one word will you steal, Satan, out of anybody's mind or heart. And Lord, I ask you to send the Holy Ghost to lock these truths into our heart and into our mind that we may not sin against you, that we might walk in obedience to your word. And I thank you for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, it's good to have all y'all here today. We're going to get over into some uh, things here to start out with. I want to... i got a little outline I'm going to start out with here today. Things that you must do if you want God to heal you and do miracles for you. The very first thing, praise the King, the very first thing that you must know that you must do is you must realize that you must be a son or a daughter of the King of the universe and you must worship and praise the King. You must worship and praise. If you don't worship and you don't praise the Lord, you're going to see Him do very little for you. Now, worship and praise, as we've gone through the Scriptures, many places, many people wanted the Lord to do something for them, and He wouldn't do nothing for them. Nothing. Until they worshipped Him. When they worshipped Him, then He would stop, then He would meet their needs. So the average person that I know today does not, even those that are in the church or like I was most of my life, I did not realize the importance of worshipping and praising the Lord. I just didn't realize the importance. 
But it is very important. If you want to see God do the great and mighty things that you want to see Him do, and everybody wants to see God do wonderful things, but there's got to be a problem because the church today is a pretty large organization. But as a rule, this God that we serve shows up very little for most of us. I mean, the first 45 years of my life, He never showed up for me that I knew about, but yet I was in church every time the door was open. I mean, every time. I mean, I was at Sunday morning service. I was Sunday afternoon service. I went visiting on Sunday afternoon. I went to Tuesday night visitation. I went to Wednesday night Bible study. I maintained a fleet of buses. I mean, you know, I was working for the Lord, but I never saw Him do anything. I just knew He was real, but I didn't realize how real. Wow, did I not realize how real and how awesome. I think about uh, just uh, yesterday, I guess it was, I got a... Uh, email back from, I was asked to come to Flint, Michigan the other night on a Friday, I believe it was a Friday and a Saturday, and uh, then Friday, Saturday afternoon late, I left there and flew back so I could be here for the church service on Sunday, but there was, I was asked to come to a little church up there, and of course the devil didn't want me to get there, so they uh, technically canceled my ticket right at the last minute and rescheduled me a long route through the round-the-world trip over to Minneapolis and then from Minneapolis to Detroit to Flint, Michigan. And then when I got up there, I thought, wow, if everything is perfectly on time, I'll just barely make it to the service on time, probably an hour in advance. Well, I thought that was too close to schedule it. But when I got to Minneapolis, there was some weather somewhere, which nobody could tell me where it was, and the flight was delayed two hours out of coming to Minneapolis. So I got to sit in the terminal, of course, I didn't have any idea what God was doing. I sat down there, I had now a three-hour layover, and it should have been a one-hour, but now i got a three-hour layover, so I just go down to the waiting area, and I sat down there, and a man comes down, and he sets one seat over, nobody else in the waiting area, and I asked him, I said, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He looked over at me and thought, boy, you don't hear many people in an airport ask you that question. He says, you know, well, yeah. I guess. I said, no, you don't know the king. You don't know the king. He said, well, I do. I said, then why did you say that then? And he said, well, I guess I've never been asked that question, you know, in a service. So, I mean, in a uh, church, I mean, in an uh, airport. I said, well, why don't we talk about our king a little then? So we started talking about the king, and uh, probably 15 minutes into it, uh, the people began to come. And they started sitting all around us. And most of them sat there and never said a word for the next two and a half hours waiting on the flight to come. But I was talking loud enough, plenty loud enough for him to hear and everybody else to hear. I preached the Word of God in that terminal for two and a half hours. And there was a few people come and sat down and listened five minutes and got up and left. Because they didn't want to hear what I had to say. But they didn't say nothing. They just got up and left. So you have no idea what God is doing when He delays a flight for you. Instead of grumbling, you need to say, Lord, thank you. I don't know what you're doing here, but I know you sent me here to Minneapolis to preach the gospel in this terminal, and who knows who's going to be blessed. But I do know that that one man, when the service was over, I call it the service, it was a service, when we got ready to get on that airplane, he said, this was a appointed time for me today. He said, I'm going to tell you after this trip with you today sitting here in this terminal, I will never be the same. I said, that's what God sent me to do. 
Now, the thing about it is, every one of us as children of the King should have God so ingrained in us that that should be what happens to everybody that comes in contact with you every day. They should never be the same after you're with them a few minutes. They should know that you're such an awesome man or woman of God, and that's all that's in your heart. Now then, if all you're about is business, then that's not what's in your heart. You've got to be spending time with the king, worshiping and praising him every day. If you're spending that time with the Lord, in his word, worshiping and praising him, then he will do those things for you. Just like my new, my new lovely wife here sitting on the front. She came in last night, and I had been laying there reading the word of God. She had been out singing, her and her daughter last night. So it was 1.30 this morning when they came in. Well... She'd called me about 12 or 12.30, told me she, was, she would be probably 1 or 1.30 at least before she got home. So when she came in this morning at 1.30, she said she had to take the Bible off my chest because I was asleep laying there. I, I went to sleep reading the Bible. And when she woke me up, uh, I told her, I said, wow, I was at Galatians chapter 3. That's where I was. That's the last place I remember reading, Galatians chapter 3. But all of a sudden, I just went to sleep with the Word of God on my heart and on my chest. So... That's a good place to go to sleep, right? With the Word of God laying on your chest. But now then, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, I want to read you some things out of the Word of God. In Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, wait a minute. He's jealous. He's a jealous God. Now, I want to explain to you what it means for God to put jealousy in your heart. My new wife says she's my best teaching tool. So she doesn't mind if I use her as a teaching tool. So I'm going to tell you what happens. In fact, the night of the 27th of April, standing right up there. Well, actually, no, I'll take it back. It was a Sunday. No, it was the next Sunday after that. That's, no, I'll take it back. It was Tuesday night. That's when it was. Tuesday night, the 27th. Before we knew we were going to be married, it was the morning before when the Lord had showed her in a dream that she was going to marry me, and he had already put that love in her heart for me and had already put the spirit of jealousy in her for me. I was praying with another woman, and her husband was standing right beside her, and I had my hand laid on her shoulder praying for her when Cheryl walked in and she looked up and said, immediately, jealousy rose up in her. What is he doing touching that other woman? Isn't that amazing? Before that day before that, before the Lord spoke to her, she would not have that jealousy in her heart. Not at all. But now see, this is the same God, the attributes of God that we serve. He is a jealous God. And if you're out there doing something else, you're serving money or you're serving power, or you're just serving yourself. Anything you're doing that's not putting God first, that makes him jealous. And he doesn't like that. He wants you. And he wants you to be loving him and serving him. And he is a jealous God. And that's what he wants. Because he clearly tells us in Exodus 34:14. in fact, the Living Bible says, For you must worship no other gods but only Jehovah. For he is a God who claims absolute loyalty and exclusive devotion. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's what he demands. Now then, if God said it, 
then you can take it to the bank. That's what he demands. Now then, if you really want to see the king answer your prayer, you really want to see him do wonderful things when you pray, the first thing you need to do is start worshiping the Lord. So as you worship and praise him, you're driving down the road. You just hold one hand up and everybody will think you're crazy, but that's okay. Keep one hand on the steering wheel, one hand raised, and start worshiping and praising the Lord. You know, you walk into a place of business, you say, praise the Lord. You know, I used to walk into my workplace. Very first thing I'd do when I walked in, I'd raise one hand and say, praise the Lord. How's everybody this morning? Praise the Lord. And people thought I was nuts. You know, but that's okay. When they needed to be prayed for, when they come to me, guess who showed up? Jesus did. You know, Jesus did. Just like when Neil one time, uh, of course, Dan, uh, he was one of my leads there. He was at the wedding last week. But... He and Neil were the two best leads I had out there. They were older gentlemen in their 40s and 50s. But they had never seen God do a miracle. Never seen it until I came there. And miracles became a way of life. I mean, it totally changed those men's life. That's just like one day I got tickled at them. After I left there, I told them, I said, Now, whatever you do, guys, don't get away from serving the king. Ask him about everything. So they called me one day and said, Thurman, it's amazing how quick people forget said, so we're out here working on a steam pipe problem, and we cannot get this pipe out of the wall. We think we're going to have to tear the whole wall out to get this thing out. And we've worked for hours, and all of a sudden, Neil said, I thought, Dan, hold it. We have not prayed. So right in the middle of the operation, with people working around them and everything, they stopped and got on their knees and asked the Lord to help them get that pipe out of the wall. It only took them a minute to pray that prayer. And they said, Lord, thank you. It's done. They quoted the Scripture, got up. Neil said, I put a wrench on that thing. That pipe broke right out of there. Come out and said, in one minute we had it out. We've been working on it for hours and could not get it out. What happens when you pray? All kinds of good things. So why is it that we won't pray? Now, this same man, Neil, tell you a little story about him one time. He had one, He loves these fancy, fast cars. And he had one of these... Uh, I forget now what it was, one of these beautiful little things. I remember it being white. It was nearly brand new, but it was one of them really high-performance cars. And he loves that kind of stuff, although he's an older guy. It come time to change the spark plugs on it one year. And he took it down to the dealer and asked him what they'd charge to change the spark plugs. Well, they only wanted $250 labor to change the spark plugs. I mean, so he says, wow. He said, I'll change them myself for $250. But he had never changed them before, so he didn't understand why they charged $250. So anyway, he brought it home. He's a mechanic, all right, and he started taking his spark plugs out. When he got up to on the right-hand side, I believe it's the right-hand side here, where the alternator and everything was, and air conditioning compressor and everything else, there's a couple of spark plugs that you can't see. And even after you take everything off, you still can't see them. But he finally got all of them out but one, and he liked to never got it out, the front one, and when he finally got that one out, he could never get the wrench with all the stuff down the, back in there to get that spark plug started. He worked on that spark plug all day long, could not get it started. So one of the guys at work, which was a mechanic, he told him, he said, I cannot get that spark plug in the car. Ah, he said, no problem. He said, you just don't know what you're doing. I'm a mechanic. I'll run out there. I'll put it in for you in five minutes. He come out there and he worked four hours, and he couldn't get the spark plug in. This is another truck mechanic. So the next day, Neil worked on it four or five more hours, and he couldn't get it in. And he said, I had cut my arm with all the metal. I had to ever. He said, I could not get it in. And finally, I thought, Thurman says, don't never do anything without praying. 
So he said, I have not prayed. Now, this guy's been working on this car for three afternoons, and two other guys have come help him try to put that in there, and nobody can get it in there. So he said, I've been serving the Lord. He said, I fell on my knees right there in front of everybody up there where my car was, where I live and everything. He just raised my hand and said, Lord, I can't do it. But Lord, I know with you nothing's impossible. Because Thurman showed me in the Word of God, and I've been reading the Bible since I've met him, and he says, you answer prayer. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to help me put that spark plug in the car. He said, Lord, thank you. It's done. Because Thurman also showed me in the Bible, never ask you nothing without thanking you in advance. So he said, Lord, thank you for helping me put that spark plug in the car. He said, I get up there, put the spark plug down in the socket, I run it down in there and start turning it, and he said, in five seconds, it's screwed completely to the bottom. Why is it we do things and try so hard, so long, and never stop and ask God? But is that typical for us? I don't know about you, but that seems to be the way I do things, or used to do things. Y'all come on in. we got seats everywhere. You know, we got them over here, some over here, whole front row over here. So we got plenty. And if we need any more, i got a whole bunch more setting up here. I didn't set up everything. So, But anyway, when you start to do something, pray. Never cease to ask God. Now then, another thing that Cheryl has told me that she's noticed since she and I have become so close together in our dating for the last five weeks and now our marriage for one week, she says, I pray for her almost for everything. Almost when she calls, I hardly ever let her get off the phone without praying, asking the Lord to protect her, watch over her, whatever her problem is, you know, use her mightily for the kingdom of God. And it's amazing what God is doing. It's just like one of the gentlemen I was talking to a while ago said his wife wanted to be more intimate with God, so she started seeking God and asking Him to begin to give her dreams and visions of understanding. And he said when she started praying and seeking God, he began to do that. He began to show her dreams and visions and things that was going to happen. Now, you wonder why we don't get to see God do these things? Because, number one, we don't think He will. And then... We will not ask in faith. We limit God by our prayer life. So you need to realize He's God, and He can do awesome things. But He will only do wonderful things for you when you ask Him in faith, believing He will. And so when you ask that, believing, you will get to see God do some wonderful things. But He is a jealous God and expects you to put Him first. I think everybody knows what it means to be jealous. If you were married, I think about... The times that men and women, and especially a young couple, come together, when a young couple gets married, especially when they're young, 20, 25, 30 years old, you might not have a problem. You'd be around your mate and everything, and then all of a sudden one day uh, you're married uh, maybe six months or a year, and you come in and your wife or your husband, whichever way it was, might be sitting out in front of a restaurant and you don't have any idea the guy's fixing to go in and some lady sitting there in a car and knew you and said, you know, hey, Thurman, can I talk to you for a minute? And you say, sure. She said, well, you get in. I need to ask you a question. Well, you're sitting out in front of a restaurant. You sit there, and you're sitting there for 15 or 20 minutes, and your spouse drives up and gets up and starts walking and turns and looks and sees you sitting there in the car with another woman. You know what the first thing comes up in that woman's heart? What is my husband doing sitting there in that car with that lady? Y'all all know where I'm coming from, right? So that jealousy will rise up in you, won't it, brother? Sure it will. That's just the way we're made, you know. But God is the same kind of God. He is a jealous God, and He expects you to put Him first. 
Don't go out there putting other things first if you want to see God do wonderful things for you. Wake up in the morning worshiping Him. Go to bed at night worshiping Him. Praising Him. During the course of the day, worship and praise the Lord. Now then, in Psalms 86.9, Psalms 86.9 says, All nations whom Thou hast made shall come and worship before Thee, O Lord, and shall glorify Thy name. Now, can you imagine what would happen today if the United States of America would bow down and worship the Lord? I mean, it would be awesome. But I'm going to tell you, I minister to people all the time, all the time, that have had tremendous problems in their life. At, and and th now this, is just, this is just the way it is. I hate to say this, but this is the way it is. People that are sick and afflicted in the church, when you start talking to them, they do not realize, well, yes, Thurman, I got saved when I was uh, 12, and uh, I go to church, uh, you know, quite often. Uh, do you worship the Lord? Well, uh, yeah, we worship uh, at, at church. Uh, what, do you, what do you call worship? Well, that's when we have the first 30 minutes or 15 minutes of singing. That's, that we're worshiping. No, you're not worshiping. You're singing. You're really not worshiping. There's a difference between worshiping and praising Him and singing. Because when I look at some congregations, there is no worship going on. When I look back over those sour pussies, you know, that are sitting there, you know, I mean... Mad at your wife because she didn't do what you wanted this morning, or mad at your husband because he didn't do something you wanted, and you've got that frown on your face. You are not worshiping the king. And, I, and some of you are not even singing. Some of you, I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you are coming under conviction just listening to me talk. There is no worship in that. You ought to be smiling, praising the Lord, thanking Him. You know, that's where worship and praise is. Now, if we would just do that in the church, if the church would really worship and praise the king. In fact, the other day I was with a man at a large, large uh, meeting, and he asked me if I, had, if I knew, of ben, knew Benny Hinn. And I said, well, I don't know him personally. But I said, of course, I know of him because I've watched him on television many times. He said, what do you think about him? I said, I think he's a great man of God. I said, God's using that man mightily. And, of course, this man that I was talking to, he didn't like him. He, he said, I said, hey, he said, what was the thing you liked most about his meetings? You said, you've been? I said, oh, yeah, I've been to at least three or four, maybe five, I don't know, but I've been to a few of them. He said, what did you like the most about his meetings? I said, oh, that's simple, the worship. The worship. He said, what do you mean? I said, man, I can, I, when I can go into a place at 8 o'clock in the morning and sit there and talk to people till 10, and the message and the worship starts at 10, and we go for maybe two hours and then maybe they preach an hour or whatever, and then people are getting healed, and all kinds of things are happening. And I look at my watch, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I have not done anything except stand or sit or got up and worshiped and praised. I've been there from 8 o'clock to 3 o'clock. I haven't had to go get a drink of water. I hadn't thought about food. I hadn't thought about nothing. I said, that's the closest thing to heaven I've ever been in. And it's amazing. And then immediately people begin to condemn Benny Hinn. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute. Now, if you haven't been to one of his meetings, don't condemn him. I said, that's God. I'm going to tell you, I said, that's the closest thing to heaven I have ever experienced in myself, being in one of those worship and praise services. So, if the church itself, just the church, would begin to work together and start serving the Lord, worshiping Him together, realizing He's the King that we're serving. 
He may be using you as a Baptist one way, and you as a Methodist another way, and you as a Church of Christ another way, but if we could just all believe the one book that we carry in our hand and all worship Him, it would be awesome what God would do for us. So it is so awesome to see that, but you must worship Him. Now, if He expects the nations to worship Him, don't you know He surely expects the church to worship Him? But unfortunately, the church does not do that. Now then, He says there, for in verse 10 of Psalms 86, 9 and in verse 10, For thou art great and dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Isn't, isn't that awesome? Let me read that in the Living Bible. It says in verse 9, All the nations, and you made each one, will come and bow down before me, Lord, and praise your great and holy name. When is the last time you bowed down before the king? When is the last time? You bowed down before the king. I think about sometimes I wake up in the wee hours of the morning and I catch myself sliding off the side of the bed and either on the floor or in the bathroom on my knees with my face to the floor worshiping the king. I just get caught up in that. And I, there's been times I've been there for two and three hours. You know, I wake up and look at the clock and it's two o'clock. And so I go in the bathroom and get down and I just worship and praise and talk to him and commune with him and everything. And all of a sudden I think, well, I guess I better go back to bed. And I get up and go in there and I got up at 2 because I remember looking at the clock. And it may be 4 or 4.30. And I thought, wow, two or two and a half hours went by. Lord, what an awesome time. You just got caught up in worship. And people say, gee, Thurman, I want faith like you. I want to be able to touch the sick and I want to see them get well. Hey, I love to see that too. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? But it's such fun. Ooh, just like that guy from Flint, Michigan the other day when he called back and said, Thurman, wow, you come up here and talk in our church. And he said, I had a bad rotor cuff in my arm and my arm been killing me for years. And said, you laid hands on me and prayed for me. And the Lord healed me and I not had any pain. And I'm totally, completely healed. He was praising the king. And then there was another man there that had, uh, uh, some, he had had polio when he was younger. And he followed me out to the car. He wanted to, uh, for me to pray with him and ride to the airport. And he walked with a real bad limp. And he said, I got serious pain in my back. And, said, and I said, of course, it's obvious why you have that pain. Because your polio and your back moves like it does. But I said, Jesus bore your pain. I said, I'll pray for you and he'll heal you. And he'll take away all that pain. I prayed for him and time we got to the airport, uh, less than 30, 40 minutes later, when he got out, he said, my pain's almost completely gone. I got an email from him a couple days later, no pain whatsoever. He said, wow, I'm waiting now for the full manifestation of my healing. I'm waiting for my back to go back. Before, he didn't even have the faith to even start to think he could ever get there. But now then, after teaching him the Word of God, he sees that the promises are there. All he's got to do is stand on the Word. Now, how long is it going to take? I don't know. Will God do it if he stays in faith? Yes, he will. He sure will. He'll do great and wonderful things for you. Now he says, after you bow down and praise him, for you are great and you do miracles. You alone are God. Now, wait a minute. If he is great and he does miracles... Why is it that the church I was in all of these years never got to see him do a miracle? All of my years in church, I never got to see God do a miracle. I mean, I was in church. Were we bowing down and worshiping him? No, I never saw anybody bow down and worship him. 
I've seen a few people go to the altar and kneel and pray for maybe three or four minutes, but I really never saw a congregation of people bow down and worship the king. So if you don't do it at church, then the next best place to do it is at home where you can do it in the privacy of your own home, and the Lord will hear those prayers. He will honor those prayers. And when you speak in His name, in faith, He will do great and mighty things. And it's wonderful to get to pray for people and see God do these wonderful things. Because therefore, you know He's doing it. Then He says, if you are great and do great miracles, I think about the greatest miracle that I have ever seen God do in that little Baptist church up there in Justin. And it was at a time when we had no pastor, and it happened on January the 6th of 2002 in a Baptist church. I made an announcement that I would like to see anybody that believed God would do a miracle today to come to a prayer meeting this afternoon at 2 p.m. till 4 p.m. We're going to pray for two hours at least. And the problem is my four-year-old granddaughter... Well, she would have been four in just a few days. She was not quite four at the time. My four-year-old granddaughter had her eyes disconnected from her brain in an automobile accident, and no doctor in the world could ever put her blinded eyes back together. And I could believe that God would hear our prayers and reconnect a little four-year-old girl's disconnected eyes to her brain and no doubt in my heart, and I invited only people that believed God would do what He said He would do and guaranteed He would do because I wanted no doubt in that room. And we had a total of everybody I invited, plus out of a congregation of 400, there was about 30 from that church showed up and about 10 from other churches. And we met that Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4. And again, I told them, I said, now I don't want any unbelief in this room. If you don't believe God will do what He says He will do, I do not want you in this prayer meeting because unbelief is what keeps God from doing great things. Unbelief. So we met there and prayed that Sunday afternoon in a sanctuary, brand new one, first day it ever been opened. And now you've got to have great faith to believe to ask God to do something like that, right? You've got to have great faith, first of all, to ask for a group of people to come and pray with you for two hours believing and then guaranteeing them God's going to do what He said He would do. He's going to reconnect Caitlin's eyes to her brain so that she can see. Now, the average person does not have the faith to show up at a prayer meeting like that. And you want to know why we don't see God do nothing? It's because we don't believe He will. But we met that Sunday afternoon. We prayed for two hours. Did we see anything take place? No. We didn't see a thing change. She was still totally blind when we left that afternoon at 4 p.m. But I continued to praise Him and worship Him and thank Him for her perfect, beautiful little eyes. Well, three weeks later, she could see. He did reconnect those eyes to her brain. And this morning, when I left the house, she was snuggled up beside Cheryl. And I give both of them a kiss this morning. I said, my two favorite ladies... I give them, and of course, she jumped up from there and gave Granddaddy a hug and everything and said some wonderful things to me this morning. Her voice is coming back better and better. She's speaking better and better all the time. And I know in another few months, she'll be talking completely normal because she's, that's the only thing we like now is her perfect speech. You know, I mean, everything else works. Now, you think of the greatest miracle that I've ever seen God do, and that's put that brain stem back together. 
put those little disconnected eyes back together, put that little face back together, and that beautiful little lady spent the night with us last night. Oh, and it's wonderful this morning to get up and see her laying there in that bed beside Cheryl, and she just loves Cheryl. She just pulls over. She already calls her grandmama. Yeah, praise the Lord. Isn't it awesome what God can do? He is awesome. But see, it all revolves around our worshiping and praising and believing God. Now, He'll do great things. Then He says, Tell me where you want me to go, and I will go there. May every fiber of my being unite in reverence to your name. Now, are you willing to make God that statement? Tell me where you want me to go, and I will go there, Lord. But you say, my, what if he were to ask me to go to the deepest, darkest part of Africa? Lord, I don't want to go down there with all them snakes. Well, if he, wants, if he asks you to go down there, he's going to watch over you and protect you and take care of you. He will never send you any place he does not provide for. Now, a lot of times we don't understand. And many of you may have heard the story about the group of young men that went through college, seminary, and God gave, I think there was three or four of these men, a, and all of them were young married men and everything, and he gave them a mission to go to some place, and I forget what country it was, but it was a group of people where nobody had ever got into this country. They were cannibals, and they were murderers. And they landed an airplane down on a little creek, a river type deal, on the sand, and they went out there and they uh, built some uh, uh, little houses or, or whatever out there and trying to draw these people out. And they drew one or two of them out. One of the ladies came out and they began to uh, be able to get to where they could communicate with her and they learned a few things and everything. And they thought they were really advancing, thought they were going to get into these people to be able to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they came out in a raid one night and killed all these men. All of them lost their lives. Well, one of the ladies, from the information that they re retrieved from that, she learned the language, and she went back down there herself, and she went to that same spot, and one of those same ladies that was there came out and talked to her, and she could communicate with her. And because this woman had learned the language and because she held no grudges against those people and walked in complete love, that lady was able to penetrate that group of people and she brought that entire nation to Christ because they saw something in her because they knew they had killed her husband, but yet she held no grudges against them. And they thought only a person that knows a supernatural God could do something like that. And they listened to that little lady, and she brought him to Christ. Now, do you think the lives of three or four men that already knew Jesus was worth bringing an entire nation to Christ? Yes. So we don't understand God's ways, do we? The average woman would have said, gee, if those people kill my husband, and he was only my husband a year or two years or whatever for some of them, they would held a grudge against those people, and they would never went back down there. But this woman walked in love. Now, the God kind of love never fails. That's something else that you've got to get in there. Where you say, tell me where you want me to go, Lord, and I'll go. Now then, if you have an ailment of some kind and you need to get healed, you need to make that statement to God today. Lord, you heal me, and I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Because you've got to realize he'll never send you anywhere. He doesn't prepare you and give you all the resources you need to go do his work. 
So that's one of the things. And then verse 12 says, With all my heart I will praise you. Not part of my heart, but with all of my heart. This is the Living Bible that I'm reading out of, by the way. Verse 12 of Psalms 86. With all of my heart I will praise you. I will give glory to your name forever. For you love me so much. You are constantly so kind. You have rescued me from deepest hell. Wow. You want to really begin to see the Lord do great and wonderful things? Make Him those statements. Just like I told Him whenever my wife and my daughter were killed in that car wreck three years ago. I said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. But I will worship you. And in fact, do you know what the very first thing I did when I got the message that my wife and daughter were dead? The very first thing I did. It was at a healing school. On, January, on October the 13th of 2001. The very first thing I did when that police officer walked in and told me my family was dead. I came over in front of the congregation, told them what happened. And I said, I want us to all stand and worship the king. And that's what we did. And, of course, people begin to come forward, put their arms around me, and cry with me. And we worshiped and praised the Lord for probably 15 or 20 minutes. We just worshiped and praised. I said, now then that I've done what the king requires, I've worshiped him. I said, I'm now going to go to the hospital, and I'm going to get those two babies healed. I see, I had worshiped. And when I went to that hospital, the king showed up for me. He raised those little girls from the dead. Caitlin was dead. I mean, her brainstem was severed. You know, her eyes were disconnected. The doctor said, it's over for her. Now, you're either going to believe what the doctor says or you're going to believe the report of the Lord. Isaiah 53, 1, the very first statement, he says, who has believed the report of the Lord? The church don't believe this report. Then again, in uh, Romans 10, he clearly says, who has believed the report of the Lord? Well, you've got to believe the report. You know what the report of the Lord is? What's written in the Word of God. So if it's in there, if you believe it, then you get to see the king do great and wonderful miracles and things because he is a faith God. And in Psalms 95, 5, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, if you can't do that in church, if you feel intimidated at doing that at church, then at least do that at home. Worship and pray. You know the best thing that a family... You know what blesses a family more than anything? It's when they see Daddy. Take the Word of God. Read these kind of scriptures. Love his wife. And kneel down and worship and praise the King. If you want to raise good children, you want to raise children that love God, then you as the Father, take the Word of God and bow down and worship the Lord. Now, if you don't have a husband at home and you have children at home, then you be the instrument, Mother, that does that same thing. You tell them the importance of serving and loving the King of the universe. And you unashamedly take the Word of God and read these kind of scriptures like in Psalms 95, 5. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. That's just like a young man that came into my office one time. He was a Catholic. And as he saw God do all these wonderful miracles of healing, he came in and he had a problem with his shoulder. I forget what it was called, 
but he couldn't raise his arm. And he was a mechanic, and when you can't raise your arm up straight like this, it's hard to do things that you need to do. So after a while, somebody kept telling him, why don't you come down and let Thurman pray for you? The Lord will heal you. Now, see, the average person does not have the kind of faith that's needed. They've not met the criteria. So this man finally decided, okay. So he came in my office one day and told me what his problem was. I, Tom's name was Tom. I said, Tom, do you love the Lord? He said, yes, I love the Lord. I said, do you go to church, Tom? He said, yes, I'm a Catholic. I said, do you go to church all the time? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you ever get to see God do any miracles? He said, no, sir. We never get to see God do any miracles. I said, what a shame. Typical church. I said, okay. I began to show him some of the things we needed to do. I said, now you need to learn to worship and praise the Lord. And then you need to ask him to forgive you for your unbelief. And then we need to take some scriptures and stand on them and ask God to do a mighty miracle of healing on your arm. And so we did. And then we took the scriptures. We prayed over him. I laid hands on him. I said, now then what you must do, you must leave here and begin to worship and praise the Lord. I said, as you worship him and praise him, he'll heal you. Well, only a few days later, Tom come running back in my office. He just throwing his hands up. He was hysterical. I said, Tom, he healed you. He said, of course he did. He said, praise God. He was so happy. And so the next Sunday, uh, Tom, of course, uh, after that, after he was healed, he went to church, as he always did on Sunday, his Catholic church. One of the other men out in the, one of the other uh, divisions went to church with him. And next Monday when I come in, he said, Thurman, did you hear Tom got called down in church yesterday? I said, no, I didn't hear anything. He said, yeah, Tom... He said he was up there on the front row with both hands up praising the Lord. While we were singing, he was praising the Lord. And said so the priest walked up to him and told him, you're not supposed to do that here. <laughs> Nobody else was doing that. And so he said, but, but sir, he said, the Lord just healed me and I just want to worship him. And he said, well, well, put your hands down. So he said, Tom, come in my office the next day. He said, Thurman, I know you're always walking around here with your hands raised worshiping the Lord. said, you walk in down in the... Uh, one of any of our uh, divisions and you walk in the first thing you do is raise one or both hands and say praise the Lord guys so he said I know that's got to be scriptural I said of course it is he said can you show me where that's found in the word of God so I went up there to my office I pulled up and highlighted about I don't know maybe six or eight or ten different places where it talks about worshiping the Lord raise your hands you know and, and all these kind of things and I printed them out to him handed them to him and he said, good, I, I'm going to make me some copies of this. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, next Sunday when I go to church, I'm going to walk into my priest and I'm going to say, this is why I'm doing it. Jesus said do it. So see, now he's got information to go by. See, before he didn't know what the words are. But now he's got chapter and verse that says, bow down and worship me. Raise your hands and praise me. So now he's got some ammunition. So, my priest, you want to know why I do this? Because the Word of God tells me to do it. That's why I'm doing it. Now, why is it that we don't do that? Because we don't know what the Word says. Now, when we learn what the Word says, we know what we're supposed to do. Now, then it becomes a decision. Are you going to do it? Are you going to stand there? You don't have any idea in that little Baptist church out at Justin how many people. In fact, I met a lady here a while back down my son's gym. And... Uh, and of course, she'd come in to work out. And I said, ma'am, I don't believe I know you. She said, I know you. I said, well, where did I meet you? She said, you haven't met me. I said, well, then how do you know me? Oh, she said, I've went to the Baptist Church of Prince Justin several times. And I said, well, okay, so, but if I never saw you, how do you know me? 
Oh, she said, my son and I said the first Sunday we were there. He said, Mama, look at that man standing over there with his hands raised. And she said, I turned and looked and it was you. And said, I never saw a man worship like you were worshiping. Said, nobody else was doing that. And said, my son says, Mama, why does he do that? So, well, honey, I guess he's just worshiping God. So said, I asked somebody during the service, said, you know who that man is over there in that suit? I said, oh, yeah, that's Thurman Scrivener. Oh, she said, okay. So she said, we noticed every time we were there, you were almost the only one that ever stood, whether you were on the back row, the front row, or the middle, you were always in certain songs, you held your hands up and you worshiped and praised the Lord. And she said, my son said, mother, if he did it, I can do it. And so she said, now then, when we go to church, my son looks over, and when we're there, and said, if you're there and you have your hands raised, my son, he'll raise his hands too. See, we need more men that'll be an example that's not ashamed of the king. So these little guys coming along will say, hey, if that older guy, if he's something about this and he's standing there worshiping, hey. And then the thing about it is, after they see you doing that, somebody says, who is that guy? And they say, oh, that's Thurman. He's the greatest man of faith in our whole church. He sees more miracles than anybody else in this church. You know what the little guy's listening? He said, hey, if that guy sees miracles and he's doing that, then I'm going to do that because I want to see God do the same things for me. And if you do that, that's just like the other day I got tickled. Last Sunday, one of the ladies that came in, her little boy about this big, he come running up to me and said, Mr. Shrivener, how do you like my hair? I said, it's wonderful, son. He had it combed back just like I combed mine. And he said, I asked for my mother if she had some white or gray stuff I could put on it. And I went and told, her, told his mother about that. She said, Thurman, my son idolizes you. And he said, Mama, he's at home and he's got the Bible down and he's preaching. He said, Mama, I'm going to be a preacher just like Brother Thurman. And I thought, boy, do we need some men that the little guys will see that they want to become a preacher instead of a football player or a baseball player or whatever. We need some men out there that's not ashamed of Jesus. That'll be an example to the younger kids. They can say, hey, I want to be like that man. Who is that man? He's my preacher. You mean you want to be a preacher? Yes. Why do you want to be a preacher? Because I see my preacher talk to God and God talks to him and he, God does miracles for him when he prays. That's the way, that's the example every one of us should be to everybody. So praise the King for these little guys that are coming up that are idolizing men of God. And we need a lot of them. We need a lot of them. Now then, Verse Psalms 99, verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalms 100, verse 1 says, A psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. 
Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. If we would get to to the point where we as a church walked in that kind of worship and praise, you know what we could get our Lord to do for us when we prayed? That's exactly right. Anything we ask Him for. And He told us that in the New Testament many times, didn't He? So why is it He don't do these things for us? Because we don't worship Him praising. We don't, we're ashamed of Him. We go to work and somebody says, in fact, it's your course of work where you work. If you, if people do not know you're a Christian at your workplace, chances are you're not seeing God answer very many of your prayers. If somebody has to ask you, do you know if Thurman's a Christian? Well, I don't know. I mean, is there anything that would make you think he is? Well, I don't guess. You know, he comes to work. He does a good job. Yeah, he's a hard worker. Uh, does he tell dirty jokes? Oh, yeah, once in a while he tells dirty jokes for the rest of the guys. You know, does, uh, uh, is, does he ever pray over his meals up there? Well, no, I've never seen him pray over his meals. Then what is it that would make you think he's a Christian? Well, I don't know. I really don't know. But somebody walks in and says, Is there anybody in this place a Christian? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's that crazy guy, Thurman Scribner. What do you mean crazy guy? Gosh, the guy prays over everything. You know, he never sat down to eat a bite or nothing without praying. He prays out loud. He walks through the place with his hands raised, meets everybody, says, Praise God, how are you doing this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, if there's anybody around here, there's enough evidence to convict him that he's a Christian. It's that crazy man. Do you ever see him do anything wrong? Absolutely not. Is he a hard worker? Absolutely the best worker we got in the place. Dedicated? Oh, yeah. Comes early and stays late. Does he ever complain about Monday morning? Absolutely not. Wakes up praising God today's Monday, another opportunity to serve the King. Wow. Signs his emails, every one of them. Praise the Lord. Now then, if you want to see Jesus, good, good things. Those are the things you've got to do. Now, guess who will come against you? The world will. The devil will. But if you want to see Jesus do good things, you're going to have to continue to do what Jesus says. You can't compromise to the world if you want to see Jesus answer your prayers. You want to see the Father in the name of Jesus answer your prayers. You cannot compromise with the world. So the world tells you, you can't sign your emails, praise the Lord. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't have prayer meetings. You can't pray with people in the workplace. You can't do none of those things. And if you yield to those things, then you'll get to see the king do very, very little stuff. But if you'll not yield to those things, wow, I could sit here today and tell you miracles that I saw in the workplace over and over and over and just spend the next two or three hours just telling you miracles I've seen God do in the workplace of healings that I've seen the Lord do. Now then, if you believe him, and let me ask you this question. Today, the average, let me make this statement first, the average church member today is not really convinced that God will heal. Most of them say, well, I know He can if He wants to, but I know He'll only do what His will is, and I don't know what God's will is. Well, now, if you're right there, and that's where I was most of my life, I never saw God do anything until I got to the point where I knew that as a Christian He had empowered me to heal the sick. He's empowered you to heal the sick. But it takes bold faith to get it done. So, when you start realizing this, 
then you will start praying over people all the time. In other words, if you see somebody, I mean, wherever you're at, in whatever line of work you're in, it makes no difference. If you're a daughter of the king, you're a son of the king, you see somebody that has a problem or somebody with a pain or a child with a problem or a man or a woman or whatever with a problem, you should go to them and say, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Did you know Jesus is a healer? Well, no, I didn't know that. I see you have this problem. Yes. Well, Jesus is the healer, and he guarantees to heal every time if you'll believe him. Would you confess your sin of unbelief? And I'll reach over, and let me tell you a scripture. Now, if I've got my New Testament in my back pocket, let me open it up to you, and let me show you what Jesus said. And you open your New Testament up, and you turn over to one simple scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, and say, let me show you a guarantee from God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, he said, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Is that an awesome statement, or is that an awesome statement? Now then, the average church member does not know that verse is in the Word of God. Now, if they knew that verse was in the Word of God, and they believed that Mark 16, 18 meant what it said, anytime you or your children get sick, what would you do before you go to the doctor? You would lay hands on the sick, and you'd say, be healed in Jesus' name. But after all, the Lord made that so complicated and so complex, it takes a doctor of theology to mess that up. How difficult is it to believe when you say, be healed in Jesus' name, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet? Was that difficult, Brittany? Not at all. That means you could do that for sick, somebody sick, right? And it'll work because you believe God, don't you, honey? Yes. So when you believe God, now there may be circumstances that you don't know about, but let me tell you, don't ever miss an opportunity to use that verse. Although you may not understand all the things that's involved, and there may be things you don't know at that point that may hinder that healing, but if you will start doing what Jesus said right there, Every time you see somebody sick, lost or saved, it makes no difference. You start quoting that verse, taking that verse, and start saying, you know, let me show you what the Lord said here. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. So let me lay hands on you and I'm going to expect Jesus to heal you. When you start doing that in faith, guess what you're going to get to see God do every once in a while? Woo! You're going to get to see Him do some wonderful things. Now just to tell you, how simple these things are. It's like one of these days, one of these days I'm hoping to get Bobby Jones back down here. He's never been here since uh, I prayed for him. But on the National Day of Prayer last year in May, a year ago, here is a precious young man that goes to church. I mean, a big church where I used to go at Lakeland Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. Now, he is in the choir up there. He loves to sing. But Bobby was 38 years old. And when he was 14 years old, due to a football game he was playing in, he got his back broke when he was 14. Now then, they finally fixed him up good enough. I think they did some surgeries and stuff on him. But they finally fixed him up where he could exist. But he had not been without pain from 14 to 38. Now that's a long time. That's 24 years the man had been in pain. Now I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. And I sure don't like 24 years worth of it. But the pain continued to increase over his life. 
and it's now getting to the point where he can't bear it. I mean, 24-7, the man has pain. A wonderful young man, 38 years old. Goes to church, loves God, sings in the choir at Lakeland Baptist Church. He loves God with all of his heart. Last year at the National Day of Prayer, a young lady that comes to this church real often by the name of Vicki McElroy, she is Dr. Ben Smith's secretary. And she goes to church of prayer on Sunday morning, comes down here on Sunday afternoon. She's just a precious daughter of the king. She's come down here and saw God do all these wonderful miracles. Now, he don't do it at Lakeland Baptist Church, but he does down here. There's a, there's a problem there, isn't there? Now, it, it, I mean, you know, it's a problem. Something's wrong there. But it doesn't happen. So, Nabobi loves to sing, loves to sing. And the doctor, he's now going to different doctors checking out what he can do. And so the doctors are checking him. The doctors are telling him, we can do surgery on you. We can help you. But we're never going to be able to eliminate your pain. You're going to have to live. We can do these surgeries. It's going to cost you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But you're still going to have to have pain. We'll never be able to eliminate your pain. And when we do the surgery up in his back, where it is, it could very well affect your vocal cords and you may never be able to sing again. He loves to sing. He loves God with all of his heart. So he's getting ready to select the proper surgeon and schedule for surgery when I meet him at a National Day of Prayer last year. Miss Vicky was there. She came over and said, Thurman, if I were to bring Bobby over here, would you pray for him? I said, sure, honey. I'd be happy to. So after I speak that day and everything, and Bobby sings, she brings him over and introduces him to me. And as I talk to him, he tells me about all this stuff. And I said, well, are you going to have the surgery? He said, well, sir, I guess I'm going to have to. He said, I, I just can't stand the pain anymore. He said, I'm not without serious pain all the time. I said, well, son, are you a Christian? He said, oh, yes. I said, do you love God? He said, oh, yeah. I said, you go to church? Oh, yeah. I go to Lakeland Baptist Church. I love God with all my heart. I serve Jesus. I said, you got any unforgiveness? Oh, no, no, sir. I said, you have any sins against anybody you know or anything? No, no. I said, well, you're, you're set up perfect for a miracle. Your only problem is you don't believe God's Word. He said, well, sir, I do believe God's Word. I said, no, you don't. You don't believe it. I said, you need to repent for your unbelief. He said, sir, I, don't, I believe God's Word. I said, okay, let me get my Bible out here and read one magnificent promise to you. And I opened my Bible and I said, Bobby, I want you to read this one promise. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said. I mean, this is only the king of the universe talking, right? Only the king? I mean, he's my king. Is he your king, young lady? Yes, he is, huh? Now, do we believe him? Obviously, we don't. Jesus said, again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that an awesome promise, young lady? Is that a beautiful promise from the king? Obviously, we don't believe him. Otherwise, we'd come to him on behalf of these promises, wouldn't we? Well, I don't know about you, but I started believing him. I mean, it's obvious the church wasn't teaching me these things, but the promises are in God's Word. So, either somebody's lying to me, or Jesus lied to me. One of the two. But since Jesus can't lie, I said, okay, Lord, I'll stand on it. So, Bobby looked at that, and he said, sir, that's awesome. I said, so, what did he say we could ask for? He said, anything. I said, does anything include your back? He said, of course it does. I said, good. I said, so, Father, in the name of Jesus. I said, first of all, Bobby, repent for your unbelief. So he did. 
Because, see, that's a sin, isn't it? Now, if you don't believe God's Word, that's a sin. And that'll, keep, that'll separate you from the power of God. Oh, you know that, don't you, young lady? Oh, oh. And here's a young lady that knows that me and her got a special favorite secret here we won't share right now. But she, she's come to God confessing her sin, too. <laughs> she's come and she already told him about it a while ago. <laughs> so, see, we're, all of us are there. Sometimes even after you've got one or two healings from God, you still, yeah, see, you're still into that mode of sin of unbelief. And that'll keep you from getting your miracle, won't it? It sure will. Absolutely will. So he repented for his sin of unbelief. We prayed the prayer of faith for him revolved around that little simple verse, Matthew eighteen nineteen, where our king says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Now, since I asked him if he was the Son of God and he had all those sins confessed and his unbelief and everything, so we cleaned his slate. You see where we're coming from. We got to clean his slate. So once we got his slate clean, now we're ready to step over into the miraculous, see, by faith. So we pray the prayer of faith for him. And then I make this statement. Now see, Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said, you can have anything you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart. Now see, I probably limited Bobby's healing by 24 hours with my own tongue. Because this is what I said. Actually, 12 hours, because it was late in the afternoon. I said, Bobby... When you wake up in the morning, you will have no pain. I guarantee it. Now, Mark eleven twenty three. What does Mark eleven twenty three say? If you don't have that verse committed to memory, you need to turn over and lock Mark eleven twenty three in your heart, because again, the King says, "You can speak to a mountain and command the mountain to remove from here over yonder into the sea, and if you don't doubt in your heart." But you believe what you say, the mountain will obey you. Therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you don't doubt in your heart, you will have whatsoever you say. Is that a powerful statement, young lady? Does that mean you better watch what you say with that thing right below your tongue? Yes, because you can speak life or you can speak death out of that tongue. You go about speaking death instead of life, you will have death. It is so important that you learn how to talk. You must speak what you want and not the problem. But too many people come to me saying, Oh, Thurman, I have this problem. You know, oh, this is not working for me. Well, as long as you're confessing that negative stuff, it will not work for you either. You got to pray what you want one time and then thank God for the promise. But said, but I've been believing God for six months and it still hadn't manifest. Then keep believing. Don't doubt. Keep believing. In fact, September, I forget what Sunday it is in September. Cheryl, you may remember. I don't know. You remember what Sunday uh, we're going to have that lady here? I think it's the 25th. We're going to have Miss Emily Dodson here in our church to give her testimony. I, I think it's the third or... Oh, okay. The 25th and 26th, she'll be at the healing school in Justin and in church here on Sunday. That woman was miraculously healed of a terminal cancer, and it took her a year, a year, to come out of it with her confession. So out of a year, it took her to fight that battle. That woman was miraculously healed, but that woman, by the time she was 53 years old, 
had already had 13 surgeries. And now then at 53, she's being diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And the doctor tells her, one more surgery and you may live six more months. And she said, forget it. I'm just going to die. And I'm not going to stick and cut me no more. I've been stuck and cut and pricked so many times. She said, forget it. I'm not going to have any more needles stuck in me. But this woman didn't know the power of God. She'd been raised in a traditional church that didn't teach her God's Word. But when she got a hold of these promises and started believing these promises, it took that woman a year to fight her battle. But that woman came out on the other side completely, miraculously healed. But she went through some of the most intensive, trying times of pain and suffering. But she trusted God and believed God. She won her battle, come out on the other side. And I believe that's been about 15 years ago. And that woman, so if she's 53 then, that means she's maybe, I don't know, 68, 70 years old or whatever. But that woman has lived in divine health from that day to this. And she is a ball of fire on fire for Jesus. When she, she was on Sid Roth, and when she heard me on Sid Roth, and she heard about Caitlin's testimony, she said, I want to meet this guy. And so she's going to come here and be in our church and a healing school the fourth Saturday and the fourth Sunday uh, of uh, September. And I'm looking forward with great anticipation to have that little lady stand here and give you all her awesome testimony. She is a awesome woman of God. But anyway, uh, I guess uh, somewhere along there I was telling you some kind of a story. and I Oh, Bobby. Yeah, thank you, honey. I got all I was telling about Bobby and then I got off. But anyway, I limited by Mark 11:23. I limited Bobby's healing of his back by about 12 hours because I said with my mouth, Bobby, when you wake up in the morning, I guarantee you'll have no pain. Well, see, Bobby went home believing that because he believed Matthew 18, 19 and Mark 11, 23. And so he said, I went to bed that night thanking God that I was going to wake up in the morning for the first time in 24 years with no pain. He believed the Lord. He said, the next morning I woke up and begin to move and twist. And for the first time in 24 years, no pain. The king of the universe showed up for Bobby Jones that night and healed his back just exactly like we said. And from that day to this, Bobby Jones has not had a single pain and he can do anything he wants to do. After 24 years, no surgeries. And now then, let me tell you, he sings to the Lord a new song. Jesus has become the healer to Bobby Jones. Now then, if you'll do those kind of things with people where you are, guess what he'll do for you? He's no respecter of persons. You worship him and praise him and thank him, and you're not ashamed of him, and you're in a group of people like that. There was people all around that day when Vicky brought him over to me, and I guaranteed him the king I served would heal him. Because Jesus made me the promise in His Word. Now, the average person won't do that. That's the, first of all, somebody brings somebody over. First of all, why does somebody bring somebody to you in the first place to pray for? Why didn't somebody else pray for Him? Why didn't He get prayed for at Lakeland Baptist Church? Good question, isn't it? The same reason that Miss uh, Sharon, when she came here on January, in January the 13th, and when she came up for prayer that day, she also had had a back problem for 30 years and had been to a chiropractor one to five times a week for 23 years. 
Can you only imagine the pain and suffering this little lady had gone through in the last 30 years? And then she comes up, and all the money she spent too. And then she comes up and says, Mr. Scrivener, I want you to know before you pray for me that I've had this problem for 30 years. And I've been in church all those years. And she said, I've been prayed for by at least a hundred people, and nothing has ever happened. I said, well, honey, number one, you never believed God was going to do anything. You didn't come to him with a verse. I said, what verse was you standing on for your healing? Well, she said, I didn't have one. And I said, that's why you didn't get anything. You need, number one, to come to God, because God says, without faith, Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please me. So I said, if you don't please the king, guess what you're going to get from the king? Nothing. So I said, you need to come to him with a verse. And then you need a verse that will guarantee you can have what you want. And then you need to ask in faith, with all your sins confessed, nothing wavering, believing it's done. I said, now then, I want us to find a scripture that will guarantee you can have what you asked for. And so we looked up one, and, and she, took, she said, I stand on this one. I said, okay, that'll get it done for you. I said, now then, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you in faith. And I'm going to guarantee you Jesus is going to heal you because he made you the promise. And I reached up and touched her and prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. Now then, she's been completely free of all of her pain since January of this last year. And she's invited the whole staff out to dinner one Sunday night after church. She said, I am so awestruck that I can be up walking around and fixing a meal for y'all. She said, it's such a privilege to fix a meal for y'all because I have no pain. She said, I could have never have done this before for 30 years. You think the little lady was grateful to the king? Of course. Of course she's grateful. And of course, I'm certainly grateful that he does these things. Everybody that's been healed in the ministry, I am grateful to the king for your healing. And I know you are. Everybody, and healing is for everybody. But you have to believe it with no doubt in your heart. Now, does everybody get an instant healing? No. Did Miss Emily Dawson get an instant healing? No. It took her a year. Somebody said, well, I don't want to wait that long. Well, let me tell you. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know why he'll heal one woman standing right here in one second and heal another one in five days and another one in six months. I don't understand that. But guess who's the healer? Jesus. He's the king. He knows what he's doing. And so all you've got to do is believe it's yours with no doubt in your heart. And if it takes this one six months to get healed, and she continues to say, Lord, it's written in your word. It's done. I ain't doubting. I ain't going there. It's mine. I don't care what they say. I'm standing on the word. Well, I'm going to tell you sooner or later, it's going to come to you too. And so that's all you've got to do is stand on the word. Now then, when I say all you've got to do, that's not all you've got to do. You've got to worship and praise through all the process. Now, if you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm still not healed, and I don't know what you're doing here, but Lord, I want you to know I'm upset severely at what you're doing. Hey, you might as well forget it. You might as well forget it. Do you know he don't like grumbling and complaining? He don't like grumbling and complaining? Now, then somebody said, well, now, wait a minute now. Can grumbling have anything to do with my sickness? Hey, let me take you to the Word. I, right now, for a second, I'm just going to deviate where I was going. We're going to another verse. I want to show you why some of you are sick in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think that's where I want to go. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, this is why many Christians are sick. This is why you have the problems you have. So we're going to cover a couple of very good places here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you that you should be ignorant. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, I tell you, I was ignorant a long time. But I'm getting a little wiser the more I study the Word of God. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual food and drink of the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased. Uh-oh. But with many of them God was not well pleased. Well, let's see what happened. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now then, if he wasn't pleased with you and he overthrew them in the wilderness, let's keep on finding out what happened. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust or desire after evil things as they also lusted. Now then, how many people you know said, Oh, gee, God, my neighbor down the street, they just bought a new $190,000 house, and here I got this little dinky $125,000 house. And, Lord, I need a bigger house so I can keep up with them. Oh, he says, you're not happy in praising me for the $125,000 when I give you? Well, let's see what might happen here. Oh, but, Lord, don't you love me? Yeah, I love you, but I don't like for you to grumble and complain. I want you to bow down and worship me for the $125,000 when I give you. Well, Lord, maybe I only got a $50,000 one. Okay, then I want you to bow down and worship me and praise me for the $50,000 that I give you. I don't want to hear no grumbling and complaining. Oh. Now then, they lusted after all these things. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Oh, we go out to eat and drink and then we go out and commit fornication with somebody else's wife or somebody else's maid, and we rise up to play. But, Lord, you understand, uh, you know, I know you're a good God, and you understand it's not bad for me to go out and do those kind of things. Oh, you think not, huh? Okay, well, just keep doing it. And I guarantee you'll suffer the consequences. And if you want to see your children led off astray, you want to see the devil drag off your kids, you want to see your kids get on drugs and alcohol? All daddy needs to do is just get involved with another woman. That's all you've got to do is just start not serving the king and not worshiping and praising God. And I guarantee the devil will have an open door to your house. And you, you're, I mean, it's amazing. Amazing the things. As I've learned these things, I see the things that happens to people. And that's just like, I'll tell you a story right now about a couple I have prayed for. I have prayed for, and I have prayed for them. And this woman is sick with a problem. I prayed for her for four or five years, and nothing has happened. This woman has been all over the country trying to find a doctor who can solve her problem, and nothing. I mean, I don't matter how many times I've prayed for her. I've been to their house and spent three, four, and five hours, four or five times, and nothing's ever happened. I told them, I said, you two, some one of y'all got a sin in your life. I said, I'm not the healer. No, no, we don't have no sin. I said, now, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. I go pray for people all the time, and it happens. But in y'all's life, it's not happening. I said, something is wrong. I said, ma'am, you sure you're walking holy before God? She said, I guarantee I'm walking holy before God. 
her husband, which is a graduate of the seminary. I said, sir, are you sure? Oh, yeah, Thurman, I would never do nothing that was wrong. I've been to seminary. I've done all these things. I know what's right and wrong. I said, there's something wrong. I don't understand what it is. After years, and could never get this woman healed, the woman called me here a while back. And she said, Thurman, I just found out. Of course, her husband's a businessman. He travels all over the country. He has a mistress. Nobody knows, right? Oh, yeah. God and the devil both know he's got a mistress. You want to know why his wife suffered all these years? Because of his sin. Wow. She's been through hell on earth. Now, why is it the devil hid her instead of him? Because she wanted to serve God and do what's right. And he'd given up the ministry and went into the business world. But he's had problems too. He's had complications with his health also. But not near like she has. Do you think the devil knows exactly what's going on? Do you think the devil knew that he had that mistress from day one? Do you think maybe the devil's the one that brought her to him? Sure. I'll tell you. It's awesome. I had a man just tell me, and I won't tell the story exactly like it happened, but there was a man just recently told me that as a man of God in a foreign country, he made a statement. Technically, devil, you can't get to me. And then he said, he met the most beautiful woman. Awesome. She was everything he could ever imagine. And he thought, I could never be tempted as a man of God to go to bed with a woman out of wedlock. But he said, the first thing I know, I found myself in bed with this woman. And he said, right before my face, I saw the devil appear in her face and make a statement to me. Something like, you couldn't be deceived. He said, I saw the devil in that woman's face. And he said, I just fell off of that woman right there. You think the devil can't put anybody to the test? Sure. He knows exactly where your weak parts are. And you don't make those kind of statements. Because if you do, he'll say, oh yeah? You don't think I can get through to you? Let me put you to the test. Wow. He'll get you if you're not extremely careful. Wow. And he may get to you even if you are extremely careful. That's why we have to have Jesus. That's why we've got to have Jesus. But these people, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And then it says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000 people. Now, these people here he's talking about, when Moses came back from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, whenever God told him, said, said, I hear all this music and everything in the valley. And Moses comes up on top of the hill, and he looks down, and there is somewhere in the neighborhood of three million people having a party. Three million and many of these people are running around naked and have, 
drunk and having an orgy. And when Moses saw that, he threw the Ten Commandments down into the valley. And when he did, he turned loose the death angel. And the death angel began to run through that place like a flood. And Moses began to see people just falling dead everywhere. And he cried out and began to intercede, Oh God, stop it, Lord, please. And the Lord said something like this. This stiff-necked bunch of people, get out of the way, Moses. I'll make a great nation out of you. I'm going to destroy them all. You think the king was a little bit ticked off? I think he was a little bit ticked off. But because of Moses interceding, he stopped. But he stopped after killing how many? 23,000. You talk about having to dig some holes and bury a bunch of people. So what's the secret? Don't go out and eat and drink and rise up to play in sexual immorality. Because it makes no difference if you're one or you're thousands. God don't like it. And you'll open the door to the death angel. So don't do those things. And that's why many people are sick and afflicted today. Many people are sick and afflicted because they're committing these sexual acts outside of their marriage bed. Now, it's okay if you're married. You know, God ordained sex. He's the one who made it. But He only made it for a man and a woman that are married. Not outside of the marriage realms. So if you're married and you're not having sex, shame on you. You need to be having it. I'm serious. You know, I mean, if you've got a woman that withholds sex from her husband, she's sinning. If you've got a man withholding sex from his wife, she's, he's sinning. Your body is not your own. Your body belongs to your spouse. So, you fulfill each other's desires. Because that's the way God made you. you know, so just realize that's the way God made you. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Walk in obedience to the Word. And then he says, uh, verse 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpents. So if you're out there tempting God with things, be careful. Then he says, Neither murmur. You know what the word murmur means? Complain. Neither murmur nor complain, as some of them also murmured, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, who do you think that is? The devil. Does God like for you to get up on Monday morning and say, Oh, God, it's Monday morning again. I've got to go to work. Oh, God, I hate to go to work. Can't you give me a... Can't you give me... Oh, God, I hate to go to work. He said, Oh, you do? Well, let me just see. Maybe we can just do something else for you. And so next week you find yourself, or uh, three months from now, you find yourself laying in a hospital on your deathbed. I remember a man, he may be here today, he said, God told me I was going to be a preacher one time. And I said, no, God, I am not going to preach. So he said, a year later, a year later, I'm laying on my deathbed in a hospital. I said, Lord, did I miss something? What is wrong here? And the Lord spoke to him and said, oh, have I got your attention now? He said, yes, Lord, I'm laying here face, I mean, back down, t terminal, I'm on my deathbed. What did I miss? He said, what did you not understand when I told you I wanted you to be a preacher? He said, Lord, I'll repent. I'll do anything. Just heal me. And he said, in a week, I was well. Now then, guess what he done when he got up off that deathbed? He preached, I guarantee. He preached. Oh, oh. I mean, I can just see the king now say, oh. I mean, now that you're laying on your deathbed, oh, do I have your attention? 
you really are going to go preach like I've asked you to do? No, Lord, I ain't going to preach. He says, oh, okay. Pulls the plug and welcomes you home. But if you say, Lord, I'll do it. Now, it all depends. Do you want to live and have a good life? Or do you want to do what you want to do? Now, if you want to do what you want to do and not do what the king says, I guarantee it will bring sickness and disease to your house. The Lord didn't put you here to do your thing. He put you here to do His thing. Now, if you do His thing, He will bless you so that in everything you put your hands to, He'll bless you. That means you can have a great day every day and go about His business and bring people into the kingdom, get people saved, healed, delivered, or whatever He calls you to do. But just do whatever the king calls you to do. But whatever he calls you to do, don't murmur and complain. Because he hates murmuring and complaining. Now then, if he never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you get up every morning grumbling and complaining, what did he send by to these people's house? The destroyer. you have any idea who that is? So if you're a habitual complainer and grumbler and you find yourself in a hospital, you know where you messed up. Right? So don't go there. Walk in divine help. Be proactive. Okay, just a second. Let me get a mic for you. I know no question is dumb. But anyway, you just talked about this couple with the husband, you know, was unfaithful. Well, the woman couldn't do a thing. I mean, here she was stuck sick and she couldn't get healed. What else could she have done? I mean, she could beat the guy over the head and say, I know you were unfaithful because she thought he was true to her. You know my question? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but the thing about it is, the question always arises when we're talking about something that a woman is faithful, but yet she's the one that's sick and afflicted. This is where you need to be careful who you choose as a mate. Because when two of you get married, how many do you become? One. And God sat one. And the devil sat one. So now then, I've seen this many times since I've learned these principles. I've seen many times either the man or the woman. In fact, I can tell you of another case for a man. A man was a deacon in a Baptist church. He loved God. He loved teaching the Word of God. He was a Sunday school teacher. He loved witnessing for the Lord. And his wife wouldn't go with him. You know, she, she was not that spiritual. In fact, she had numerous unforgiveness toward many family members. And many years ago, this man came down with cancer. Over the years, he had several surgeries. And finally, they burned a hole in his colon. And it started leaking to the inside with radiation. And they sent him home to die. It's over. There's nothing we can do for you. I mean, it's over. Of course, another reason it's over because he had spent all of his insurance money and more than that, over all those years, he had a limit, like I forget how many hundred thousands or maybe it was a million dollar insurance limit. They spent all of that. And now then, he owed the hospitals and doctors more money than they would ever be able to pay. And so since the debt was so big, and after they burned the hole in his colon with radiation, they sent him home to die. Well, his son knew me, and he came and asked me if I thought I could get him healed. And I said, of course we can get him healed. But I said, first of all, I need to know something about the family. Well, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, tell me about your daddy. He said, my daddy's a Baptist deacon. He loves God with all his heart. He's a Sunday school teacher. He loves to go to church. He loves to witness to people. But said in the last quarter, several years, he said he's not been able to do that because he's been out of hospitals, in and out of hospitals, and so sick he couldn't do anything. I said, does your daddy hold any grudges? Oh, no. 
daddy ever sent? Oh, he said, my daddy's the best daddy you could ever imagine. I said, okay, tell me about your mother. He said, Thurman, mama's not sick. I said, okay, but that still don't make any difference. Tell me about mother. He said, well, I said, does mother hold any grudges against anybody? Oh, he said, I guess against nearly everybody I know in our family. Mama don't hardly speak to nobody. Not in our family. she got a grudge against everybody. I said, there's your problem. But Thurman, it's not mother. I said, I know. But when the two of them got married, they became one flesh. I said, now God and the devil both sees them as one. He said, but Thurman, why in the world, if mother's the one that's sinning, why did he hit daddy? I said, oh, that's real simple too. Mother's not spiritual. Mother does not want to be about God's business. She just wants to do whatever she wants to do. She wants to go to church on Sunday. She wants to come home Monday and hold her grudges and talk evil about everybody and do everything all during the week. So Mama is opening the door, so the devil's not going to touch her until he takes out Daddy. When he takes out Daddy, the one that wants to serve God and do everything for the kingdom of God, when he takes him out, then he'll come over and take out Mama in short order. I said, that's just the way it is. He says, what do I have to do? I said, first of all, you've got to go to your mother. I said, now the scripture in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, is very clear about how many people these doors are open to. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, the Word of God clearly says that in this parable the king is giving us here, he says that whenever a man owes his debt of 10,000 talents or many millions of dollars, and he was called upon the carpet to pay the debt, and he could not pay the debt, he said, okay, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and your lands and your houses and all that you owe to pay the debt. I said, so the devil gets legal claim through the entire family and everything you have under a situation like this. I said, all the children that are under the age of accountability because of an unforgiveness of a man or a woman, it opens the doors to the devil to get legal right to everything. I said, because as we go down through there, we find that first thing, this man worshipped the Lord. That was the very first thing he'd done right after the Lord said he was going to sell him and his wife and his children and his houses and his lands and all that he owed to pay the debt as far as it would go. And it says in the King James Bible, and the man came down and worshipped the Lord. Now that's the first thing he did right. He worshipped when he worshiped, guess what the Lord said I'll do? That's okay. Just because you've asked me after you've worshiped, I'll forgive you the whole $10 million debt. Oh, you think that's a wonderful place to worship the king? He's only going to forgive you for $10 million. I think that's worthy of worship. But after he forgave him and said, I forgive you for the debt, now you're clean. You can go do what you want to do. This man don't owe anything. And so that man runs up and finds a little brother that owes him a hundred dollars. A hundred denarii, it says. I understand that's a little more than a hundred dollars, but I just use that term. A tiny debt. And he grabs the man by the throat and starts choking him and says, Pay me the debt you owe me. And the man says, Be patient with me and I will pay you all. And he says, No, I'm not going to be patient. I want it all right now or I'm going to throw you in jail. Now this man's just been forgiven ten million dollars. He will not forgive that man of a measly little debt in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and he throws him in jail. Now, then, remember, the other man had already been forgiven. The debt's canceled. 
But whenever the servants came and says, Master, the man you forgave the huge debt, he wouldn't forgive the man the little tiny debt. He says, call that wicked servant in. He's changed his mind now. He calls him a wicked servant. So he brings that wicked servant in that he's already forgiven, the one that worshipped him and everything, brought him in and said, did I not forgive you that huge debt? Because should you not have done likewise to your brother, owed you that little tiny debt? Now, because you did not forgive him, because you did not forgive him, neither will I forgive you. But wait a minute, Lord, he's already, you've already forgiven him. You mean the Lord's capable of withdrawing that? Obviously, he is. He said, now, because you did not forgive him, neither will I forgive you. In fact, I'm not only not going to forgive you for the $10 million, I'm now going to turn you over to the tortures, the tormentors. And you will not get out of jail until you pay me the last penny of that $10 million. If you couldn't pay that debt while you were out there well, what do you think the chances are of you paying that debt sick and afflicted and turned over to the devil? Oh, there it's zero. It's zero. And then in verse 35, Jesus made this awesome statement. Peter, this is the way my heavenly Father will do each of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Now, if you've got any kind of unforgiveness toward anybody about anything, let me tell you, the very first thing you need to do is forgive them. If you're not sick right now, I guarantee you're going to be in the future. You will be sick in the future if you have unforgiveness toward anybody about anything. You must forgive them with no doubt in your heart. I know you're in a hurry, so I'll keep this short. So are you implying that if somebody truly comes to the um, Lord, whatever, truly serves Him, whatever, then let's say something like what happened to your daughter and wife happens. A drunk driver comes up and hits and everybody, and he lives. And so, but this man says, I, I hate that man forever because of what he did to my granddaughter and my wife and um, my daughter. Mm-hmm. Are you saying um, implying that, are you saying that from um, chapter 18 that he may be going to hell at that point, even though he truly came to the Lord, served him, brought people to Christ, but he didn't forgive that, um, that drunk driver that caused um, that death and calamity? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying exactly, not only, not only are you not going to heaven, and you're headed for hell. I am telling you that there is, if Jesus made that statement, now somebody says, well, I don't believe that statement. I believe if I'm covered in the blood, even though I continue to hold an unforgiveness towards someone, I'm still going to get to heaven. Okay, if you want to put the king to the test, go ahead. But when when that comes up and you stand before the throne of God and he says, who are you? And you say, well, I'm Thurman Scrivener. Oh, you're the one that held the grudge against so-and-so down there on earth all your life. Is that right? Well, yeah, Lord. Well, let me tell you, did you not understand what I said? That if, I, if you don't forgive them, I can't forgive you. And if I can't forgive you, you think I'm going to let you in my heaven? You have not been forgiven because you did not forgive. But, Lord, I'm washed in the blood. He said, I never knew you. I'm telling you, I'm not going to put him to the test. I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but I am not going to put the king to the test. I'm going to walk in love to all people, all time, at all times. I mean, why in the world put God to the test? You see where I'm coming from? 
Don't put him to the test. You know, just do what he says. Walk in love. And the, the, at least the chances of you uh, walking in health. Thank you, brother. Uh, my recollection of the word is that we are to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. Amen. There is a world of difference, at least in my mind, between hating someone and hating the behavior. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You find nothing wrong. I have a son. I love him dearly. I hate his lifestyle. Amen. I hate his behavior. Amen. You had no problem with this. Oh, no. I mean, the, the Lord says hate evil. Yes. Hate evil. Now, I guarantee if you've got... If, if for instance, like my sister, when my sister was a young girl, not quite 22 years old, that was the first trauma in our home that I can remember. My, 20, my sister, which is 22 much younger than me, which never had a drink in her life, got married at about 16, had three little boys, one right after the other, and her husband was a railroad a brakeman, and, and he was gone a lot. And so uh, one of her great girlfriends, which is only a year older than she was, had got married also very young, and her husband was a military man, and he was out of town a lot, and they had three little girls, bam, 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 one right after the other. So here's three little girls and three little boys with two girls, and both her husbands are out of town, and they go out to a drive-in movie one night together. And they leave the three little girls with her mother and the three little boys with my mother, and they go out to the drive-in movie right there in the little dinky town of Goldsway, and they start back home after the movie, and they come over a hill, and there is a carload of drunk people that have been antagonizing a truck all along. This truck driver, these guys that pass him on a hill, get in front of him, slow down to about 10 miles an hour, and he's been antagonizing for the last several miles, and here they guard up this hill, and here this driver starts around, and just about right here, and all of a sudden my sister and the other girl come over the hill. They're driving about 50. They see the car in the truck, and they think, wow, and it's a little tiny two-lane road. They pull off right quick to the right. The drunk driver pulls off to the left, and they hit 50 miles an hour, headlights to headlights. And my sister and the other girl were instantly killed. Nobody in the car load of drunks, one of them got a broken ankle. The rest of them walked off. I realized right there, I could hate the evil of drunk alcohol. I could hate that stuff with a passion. But I couldn't hate those people. I had to love them. I had to forgive them. And I knew that then. I hated what they did, but I could not hold a grudge against the person under no condition. And I know some of you have children or things or people that have done something in your life. And the Lord says there's only one thing you can hate, and that's evil. You can hate the devil, but you cannot hate the person. Because if you hate the person, look what you're doing. You're setting yourself up to miss heaven, maybe. Now, like I say, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. I don't know this for sure. I just know what the Word says, and I may be wrong. But from what I do understand about the Scripture, I guarantee you I am not going to hold a grudge against anybody for anything. Now, I, that does not mean that I can't hate the evil or hate what they do. I can assure you, brother, if, if, and a lot of people are doing things that are wrong. But here's the thing you've got to remember, that evil or Satan is what's causing all these problems in our life. Satan is the one that you and I can hate. And when we attacked him, when, when you learn how to catch yourself up to the third heaven and you learn to do warfare against the devil, you can see people that are involved in everything from perversion, 
sexual immorality. I mean, you name it, thievery, all kinds of things. You can begin to come against the devil and kick him out of people's life. And when he leaves, when you kick him out, and then you ask the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Spirit to begin to convict that person of sin and stand on these promises, just like when we start praying for somebody being healed, when you catch yourself up to the third heaven and rebuke the devil and drive him out of somebody's life, your son's life, your daughter's life, or a loved one's life, or whatever, and then begin to ask the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Spirit to begin to convict these people of sin and draw them into the kingdom of God and save them, if you will stand on that word with no doubt in your heart, you will at some time see God do exactly what you ask Him to do. He will move. But now if you get off into a state of unforgiveness toward that son or daughter or that loved one, I guarantee you're setting yourself up for a fall and you're setting yourself up for the devil to come to your house and first thing you know, you're going to be down with some kind of sickness and disease just like this gentleman was. This gentleman was down with his sickness and disease. His wife had no problems and whenever we found out it was the mother and the unforgiveness that she had, I told the man, I said, now, you don't go to your mother and tell your mother that your daddy is sick because of her sin. Because they're Baptists, and I guarantee these scriptures, they have never been taught, these scriptures. I said, so what you need to do is take a scripture like Mark 11, 25 and 26, where Jesus said, I tell you that if you do not forgive, when you stand praying, forgive. If you do not forgive, neither will I forgive you your sins. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Mark 11, 25, and 26. Now, if you happen to have an NIV, 26 is not in there. They left it out. But if you have a King James or other translations, Mark 11, 25, and 26 is both there. But if you have an NIV, verse 26 is left out. It's not there. So, you must forgive those persons or a person from your heart so that your sin can be forgiven. Now, that if you do that and you forgive... And that's what I told the man to tell his mother. And so when he sat down with his mother and she saw Mark 11, 25 and 26, she knew that she could not be forgiven and she had to forgive. And so she went to the relatives. She asked them to forgive her and she forgave them. And they got back into a right mode of where they should have been all the time as a people walking in love. Now, what kind of attributes should we, the body of Christ, have? Should it be hate or should it be love? Of love, of course, because the Lord commanded us to love one another. Now, it's easy to love somebody that's easy to love. But when you got one that's doing all these wrong things, it's a little more difficult to love them. But that's where the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts so we can love the brethren, all of them, regardless of what they do, because that's their attributes of God. Well, when she got her sins all confessed, now here's a daddy that's, been, that's a good man, that has no known sin, that's been down with cancer for years and spent all this money and now been sent home to die. It's over. If that son hadn't come to me, I guarantee his daddy would have been dead six or eight years ago. But he came to me. I showed him what was the problem. He went to Mama, got Mama to confess the sins. And after Mama confessed the sins, confessed her false one to another, I said, now then, I'm going to show you a promise in God's Word. That's a guarantee to work. Now, I do not understand how anybody can mess up this scripture that we're going to read. We're going to read this one, then we're going to take a break. But this scripture is so clear. And I do not understand how anybody can read this scripture and not understand what God is saying in His Word. 
But I told him, this is the scripture I told him to use after we went here. I said, go to James 5, 14, 15, and 16. Now, this, after you get your sins confessed, James, right after the book of Hebrews, go to James 5, and I want to show you a guarantee to heal you if you meet this criteria. I do not understand. There was a lady called me the other day, and there was a man called me the other day, and said, we got some of your tapes, and we read those scriptures that is what God says. And one of them says, I'm in a Baptist church. One of them said it was in another church. I forget what it was. Methodist, I think. But anyway, said, we took this. We were sick. We had a problem. We took these verses to our pastor and showed them in two different churches. And both pastors said, those things went away with the apostles, and it does not work today, so we will not do it in our church. And I thought, how sad. Now, that's, you want to know why we don't see God do anything in our churches? Because we don't believe His Word. But anyway, Mark 11, I mean James 5, 14 says, Is any sick among you? Any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. Now, the prayer of faith or the prayer of trust, not just a prayer, but the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Who's going to raise you up? The Lord will be. And the Lord shall raise you up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Then look at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now the effectual or unceasing fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now then, what do you need to do? You need to have a effectual, unceasing, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Where are you going to find a righteous man? Where are you going to find one or a woman? Well, if you know who you are in Christ, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Because he told you that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You're a new creature. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Somebody said, Oh, Thurman, I wish I could be righteous like you were so I can get my prayers answered. Well, hey, the only difference between me and you is you just don't believe the Word. I just believe what God says. I believe that it's by His righteousness that makes me righteous. I do try to walk as holy as I possibly can before God. I don't go out and sin intentionally. I may sin at times when I don't know I'm sinning, but I try to walk holy before God with all of my heart. But it's not by my righteousness that gets any of you healed. It's by the righteousness of God. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So if the Lord called, if I got all my sins confessed, then how righteous am I? Oh, clean and pure. When I pray the prayer of faith, when the Father looks down, guess who he sees? Jesus. And when I'm speaking and using the name of Jesus, guess what he does? Share more along the line of uh, how to... How... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh... I had my... Uh, I'd like for you to share more uh, how to help if the, you're not the problem, but your husband is. Okay. <laughs> yes, I can repeat it. Yeah. I need your request. There's a lady here named Beth Jan Scott's. Oh, no, she's not here. Beth is here? Jan? Well, 
It's uh, Oh, back there. Come up here and give us a testimony. Tell us what happened. You want to come up? Or you want me to bring the mic to you? I never, I didn't, haven't opened the floor for testimonies yet. Beth, I did not know you were here. Praise the King. Goodness. Congratulations. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Tell us what happened. Oh, one of the ladies that was prayed for, that you prayed for. Hold it up close. When you were in Manny, she had Parkinson's and lupus. And um, she knew immediately that God had healed her of Parkinson's. But several weeks later, she stopped all medication. But uh, several weeks later, she broke her leg and had to have all kinds of test run and what have you. The doctors ran tests again on her. There was no Parkinson's and no lupus. Wow. Praise the Lord. Amen. Tell them them about your friend uh, Paula out in California after you saw uh, Johnny Brumfield heal with his crushed knees. You're the one that came to me and wanted me to pray for Paula. Tell Uh, us what God uh, did. uh, A friend that had moved to California um, was horseback riding and the horse threw her and almost fell on her. But when she tried to get up, she couldn't move and had several discs that were ruptured, I believe, in her back and was in the hospital for a good period of time. And then um, when she did go home, she was barely able to walk, could not ride in the car, uh, wanted to come back home, but couldn't. And um, so Thurman called, talked to her over the phone, and prayed with her the next morning when she woke up. It was as though nothing had ever happened. She's home now, and she is perfect. Praise the King. Are we serving awesome Jesus, Beth? He's awesome. Praise the King. Glory. In fact, that day, whenever uh, Beth, I didn't even know she was back there. She's from Manny, Louisiana. And uh, uh, anyway, whenever I had, uh, I got to see that Johnny Brumfield, uh, of course, Johnny, I didn't know him at the time, but he came to that little church I was at that Wednesday night in Louisiana. And a tractor had run over his two legs uh, two years ago and had crushed his knees. And they'd done a little surgery on him, but the doctor said he'd never walk again. And so he came. Now, he was a Baptist, but he'd heard about this meeting we were going to have. And he heard that some miracles happened last year when I was down there. Some people had walked out of wheelchairs and were still walking. And so... Uh, he came over, and of course, after the service was over that night, uh, I saw him sitting there, and I, I prayed for other people like the ones with the uh, Parkinson's and on and on and on, different things. Because God, He can do anything, you know. All you got to do is have faith and believe Him. You know, I mean, He's just the King of the universe, you know, that's all He is, you know, just the King, you know. So uh, when you get to where you see Him do a few of these things, you get to where you expect Him to do all these wonderful things. So uh, I try to pray in faith for everybody, for everything. So here's Johnny sitting on the front row and with his legs all stretched out. And I went over there after I'd prayed for a few people. And I said, sir, what's wrong with you? He said, well, a tractor ran over my legs uh, uh, two years ago. And he said, the doctor said I'll never walk again. But he said, I know Jesus can heal me. I said, oh, yeah, guarantee he can. And I said, if you can believe him, I said, he will. I said, now, I'm going to quote one verse to you. And if you don't know this verse, you need to know this verse. Because, in fact, I, 
we'll just quote both of them. But in John 14, actually I'm going to quote three. John 14, 12 to start out with. Jesus said, to anyone that believes in me. Now that includes me because I believe in him. Anyone that believes in me, not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. Now, wait a minute, Lord. You mean to tell me you think I can do these things? He said, no, I didn't say I think you can. He said, you can if you believe. Well, now, the old devil, here's what the devil will do to you. The very first time you start to get a man with crushed knees, and you say, now, Jesus said in John 14, 13, anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he'll do. And I kneel down there to pray, and the old devil will tap on your shoulder and say, but he ain't going to do that for you. He ain't going to do that for you. And he said, but I'm going to pray. And the devil says, but remember what you did last week? You remember what you did last year? And all of a sudden, he'll flood your mind with everything you ever done wrong. And then he'll look you right now and he said, you old unworthy sinner, you, you don't think, don't you make a fool out of yourself. Don't you dare lay hands on that man and pray and expect God to do a miracle of putting his knees back together. And you, you, somebody said, gentlemen, you ever have to go through those kind of things? I said, every time I pray for somebody, that's what the devil does to me. So get used to it. But then it comes down to who you're going to believe. Call the devil a liar, right, brother? I mean, did Jesus say, did Jesus say that I tell you the truth to anybody that believes in me? Not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name? So what is it we don't understand about that? So Jesus said, anything you ask the Father in my name, I'll do it. So therefore, I tell you, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. So what do you do with that? You don't believe it. So I knelt down there and I said, Father... In the name of Jesus, this crushed knee that this man's got. And I feel all this steel under his pants. I said, what is all that stuff? He said, that's the steel braces I got on my legs. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to completely restore that knee and make it like brand new in Jesus' name. I said, it's done. Because Jesus said it. I said, now, Johnny, do you believe that? He said, I do. I said, then pull your bitches leg up and take all that steel off. Now, Beth was there that night. Were you not there, Beth? He was there. Johnny pulled his bridges leg up. He started taking all that stuff off. He throwed it all down in the floor. I said, now take my hand and get up. And he stood up. And when he stood up, he said, oh, Thurman, it hurts. I said, the devil will make it hurt. I guarantee he'll make it hurt. I said, but don't believe it. I said, just start walking. I said, come on. So he took one, two, Three little steps. And I turned him loose and I said, you're on your own. Run. He walked around the podium three times and broke and run to the back of the church and all the way to front. And Johnny Brumfield is completely healed and still running and playing today. Isn't he, Beth? Now, what can our Jesus do? Anything you can believe him for. Anything you can believe him for. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to try my best to answer her question. If your mate appears to be your problem, <laughs> number one, if I had a mate that I thought was my problem, I would certainly be praying for my mate. 
And I would be praying for me. Because here's the thing you've got to realize. If you've got a mate that's a problem, probably you've got a problem too. You've got a problem too. So the thing you need to do, just like I've said so many times, number one, of course, so many men and women, since I don't know this lady's background, so many men and women get married because they don't ask God for the mate. Your, your marriage is not ordained from God. You chose your mate and your mate chose you. Now then, technically speaking, that's not a covenant with God. That's not one that God put together. When people read in the scriptures that what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Well, I'm going to tell you today that the majority of marriages out there is not ordained of God. You didn't seek out with God for your mate. You looked for him yourself. Or he looked for you, and when the two of you, which never prayed and never asked or never believed God, if you got a good one, you're lucky. And some of you have got good ones, and that's praise the Lord. But you can make any marriage good if you'll do it God's way. Even if you didn't ask God to start with, and you married a man or married a woman, whatever, and you came together without praying, you, if you would, and I always put the monkey on the man's back first, number one. If you're a man, and you've got a woman, and you've got a problem in your marriage of any kind, nearly every time the problem is always the man. Because the man's a spiritual leader. He's a spiritual authority. And if, I've never seen a woman yet, never seen a woman yet, that I believe, that if her husband was a man of God, that loved God with all of his heart, and treated that little lady like a princess, like a queen, because he realized that she was a daughter of the king, and if he treated her like that, I've never seen a woman that will not submit to her husband in every facet of life. They'll just do that. But you've got to find that man that will love his wife and love her like Christ loved the church and was willing to give himself for her. Now, I'm going to tell you there's not many marriages like that today. There's not many. Most men that I know today were like I was at first, although I loved my wife, but I didn't read the scripture with her. I didn't pray with her. I mean, I, you know, I did go to church with her, but I really didn't read the scripture. We didn't listen to tapes together. We didn't talk about spiritual things for many years. Only at church. But that's not the way it's supposed to be done. The man is supposed to be the spiritual authority in the home. He's supposed to be talking about Jesus. He's supposed to be living an example. He's supposed to be loving his bride, his wife, like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, if a man will do that, if a man will love his woman like that, I mean, be tender with her, delicate with her, love her. Now, that doesn't mean that you come in in the afternoon after work and walk in and say, Hi, honey, is dinner ready? I sure am tired. I had a hard day today. What's for supper tonight? The first thing she wants to hear when you walk in the door is to walk up and grab her and hold her and look her right in the eyes and say, I love you. <laughs> you see how my new bride spruced up them? And, wow. She loves that too. But that's the first thing you should do. You should not say, what's for dinner? Nothing 
You should walk in and say, wow, are you beautiful this afternoon. Do I love you? Let me put my fingers in your hair. Let me run my hand through your hair. Let me hold you close for a few minutes. And let me just tell you how beautiful you are. Do you know how much I love you? And do you know how much Jesus loves you and I? Always put Jesus in there. Pray for her for a few moments. Ask the Lord to bless her. It'll, it'll lighten her life up. And it'll make your day and her day both go wonderful. But how many men do you know that do that? I didn't do that for a long time. I didn't know that. I didn't know what it took to really make a woman happy. But as I've read the Scripture, I've learned. Guess where I learned it? In the Scripture. Jesus told me what to do. So how many men do that? Somebody says... Don't be like the man that his wife came to me one day and said, Thurman, I want you to pray for my husband. I thought, what's wrong with him? She said, he don't love me. I said, how long have you been married? Forty years. He don't love you? No, he does not love me. How come you believe that he don't love you? She said, he never tells me. I said, does he work hard? Oh, yeah, he works hard. Has he, has he provided for you and the children? Oh, yeah. Did he provide you a, a home? Oh, yes. A car? Oh, yeah. I mean, food? Yeah, all, all those things. I said, well, honey, that's the way he's trying to tell you he loves you. Most men don't know what it takes to tell a woman how much they love him. I said, but the average man is a hardworking man, and if he's lived with you 40 years, evidently he's a pretty good guy. He's worked hard, provided... But you think he don't love you. She said, well, he never buys me anything. He never buys me a card or a valentine or a birthday card or nothing. I said, well, he's a normal man. Most men don't live there. I said, no woman ever forgets to get her husband a birthday card. I said, you know why she gave you a birthday card? No, I have no idea. I said, because she wants one. That's why she bought you one. Because she wants one. So I said, take this as an example. I said, so that's just the way women are made. I said, now, in fact, this little lady, she said, well, my husband, obviously, he, he, if he does love me, he sure don't say it. I said, let me tell you how to get him to buy you a card. She said, how? I said, you go home this afternoon. And when you go home, you walk into that man you've been married to 40 years. And you walk up and you put your arms around him. And you pull him up close and you look him right in the eye. Pull him up close. Put your arms around and squeeze yourself against him. When he opens his eyes and blinks them a couple of times, he said, what's this all about? She said, I just want to tell you how much I love you. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate all the hard work you've done for me and the children all these years. And I've not been gracious enough. I just want to tell you how much I love you. What would you like for dinner tonight? I'm going to fix your favorite dinner. She said, Thurman... I couldn't do that. I said, oh, I thought you wanted to change your husband. She said, well, I want you to pray. I said, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to show you how to change your husband forever. I said, woman, you're going to do what I tell you or not? Okay, I'll do it. I said, it'll be hard. I said, okay. Remember, do what I tell you. I said, then every day when he comes in, walk up, grab him. Tell him how much you love him. And I said, you'll find out. It'll change your husband. Well, only three weeks later, that woman came to a Bible study class I was teaching. She walked in and she said, Thurman, 
Don't ever stop teaching the Word of God. I said, what did Jesus do for you? She said, I went home that evening, just like you said. I thought, Lord, you're going to have to help me do this. So she said, he walked in, and I run up, and I grabbed him. I squeezed him up and pulled myself up against him, just like you told me to. And I looked him right in the eye, and I said, he was kind of struggling a little to get away, but I wouldn't let him get away. Now, here's a 60-year-old man, see. He said, what's this all about? She said, I want to tell you how much I love you. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And I know you've worked so hard to provide for me and the boys all these years. And I just want to tell you how grateful I am, honey. She says, I'm going to fix anything you want for dinner tonight. What would you like to have? He said he was speechless. He didn't know what to say. And so, well, he said, fix me anything. She said, no, I want to know what you want. So he finally said, okay, I'd love to have something. She said, I'll do it. So she said, I fixed it. We had a great dinner that night, everything. And said, I've been so kind and gentle to him. I did that. Just like you said, I've loved him. I've held on to him. And I walked by and just kissed him on the cheek. And he said, what are you doing, woman? <laughs> and she said, I just love you. And so he said, what's this change? She said, I just realized I didn't tell you how much I loved you often enough. So she said, last week was Valentine's Day. And she said, I came in. And it was a beautiful card sitting on the table and had my name on it. And I opened it and it was signed by my husband. And I thought to myself, 40 years I have never got a Valentine's card. And I read it and it was a beautiful card. And I said, honey, did you or one of the children get this card for me? He said, I got it for you. I signed it. She said, I can't believe you've done this after 40 years. I reached up and grabbed her. I said, if you wasn't a woman, I'd hit you with my Bible. <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I said, you should have run over and grabbed him and said, honey, thank you. I love this. Well, she said, I'm still learning too. I said, okay, I'll give you one, one time to mess up. After this, you don't ever do this no more. Now then, that woman's still coming to my Sunday school class. It, it forever changed her life. Now then, if the Lord told us, husbands love your wives, if the husband will love their wives and be kind and gentle to them, then the woman will submit to the husband with no problem. And you know what that will take out of our, our, our lives? If every man will be that spiritual leader he's supposed to believe, be, and he'll walk in obedience to the Word of God, and his wife will walk in obedience to the Word, then I'm going to tell you your children will walk in obedience to the Word, and we'll see Daddy being the example. And it will take all sickness and disease away from your home. You and your home, by faith, can walk in divine health. When you realize that if you do everything Jesus said, just like Jesus said in, in the Word through the apostles, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, He says, Men, be kind and gentle to your wives, because if you do not, it will hinder your prayers. Now then, what if a man gets upset at his wife and gets a problem here and he's not kind and gentle to his wife? It will hinder his prayers. Now then, who is the enemy? The devil. If you've got a husband or a wife that's not walking in obedience to the Word, you need to learn who the enemy is and the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is the devil. 
And you need to understand that you, as an obedient son or daughter of God, you have been given all power and all authority over Satan and his host. Now then, if Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, if you do not have those two scriptures committed to memory, you need to make sure that you know what those scriptures are. In Luke 10, verse 19 and 20, this scripture reads like this. And Jesus is speaking. He said, Behold, I give unto you power, or authority, to trample or tread on Satan and his scorpions, his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Be not thankful that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather be thankful that your name is written in heaven. Now then, that set of verses will only work for you if you're a child of God and if you're walking in obedience to God's Word. Now, if you're walking in sin, they won't work for you. If you've got a sin door open in your life and you've got a, a door open that's giving the devil legal right to torment you in your flesh, there's no use in you trying to rebuke the devil if you're walking in his camp. That would be just like going out here to the highway out here and you're driving 55 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone and a police officer stops you and you say, I need to know what you stopped me for. He technically has to tell you what he stopped you for. But if you were driving 90 miles an hour going down that road and the speed limit was 60 and he stops you, he can take you out of that car, bend you over that car and take everything off of you and not tell you nothing. Because you knew you were sinning. You were breaking the law. And he can do whatever he wants to do to you. So you don't want to go there. And that's exactly the way it works in the devil's world. If you have opened no sin doors, if you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, Jesus clearly told us in his Word, even over in Exodus, he said, If you, my people will do everything I tell you to do and be obedient to the law, he said, I will personally take all sickness and disease away from you and you will have no sickness and no disease. Now, if today we have a better covenant on better promises and we're sick and afflicted, that means that we have opened the door either through some kind of sin or unbelief of God's promises. And that's why we're sick and afflicted in the church today. I'm going to tell you, in the church today, there should be no sickness and no disease. But we've been taught wrong. All these years, we've been taught that sickness and disease is just a way of life. And everybody's going to be sick. And I believed that lie for 45 years. And I had my share of sickness and disease. But 45 years of it is enough. Twenty years ago, when I realized in, in Matthew 8, 16, and 17, in Matthew 8, 16, and 17, Jesus made this statement. When evening was come, Jesus went about casting out devils and healing all the sick. He went about casting out devils and healing all the sick to confirm what was written by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 4, and 5 that himself, Jesus, bore your sickness and removed your disease. Now, if Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease, there's not any use in me and him both having it. 
If Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease, He didn't plan for me to be sick. And then if He took and cast the devil out and gave me all power over the devil, He planned for me on earth to cast out the devil. Because in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus makes this statement. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, you shall drive out devils. Who can drive out devils on earth? A son or a daughter of the king of the universe that's not walking in the devil's world. Now, if you're living in some kind of sin, don't try to cast out a devil. Because if he's living inside of you because of some kind of sin, and you start trying to do battle with the devil... He's, you're going to aggravate this critter, and he's going to rise up in you, and I'm telling you, he's going to make you sick and afflict you. People say, well, Thurman, a Christian can't have a demon. Hey, I believed that for a long time. And I wondered why all of us were so sick and so afflicted and we had all these problems. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everywhere Jesus cast out devils, people were healed. And I thought, hey, if the devil's the one that causes sickness and disease, and we're still sick today then we still got to have these devils. So I went and asked all kinds of preachers, all kinds of doctors of theology in the Baptist world. That's where I was associated with, and I got the same answer from everybody. No, a Christian cannot have a demon. So I decided one day to ask the king. I thought he'll know. None of the rest of these people seems to understand. So I asked the Father in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, I've asked everybody if it's possible for us to have a demon, and everybody tells me no. I said, Lord, is it possible for us as Christians to have a demon? And then one night, I'm sitting there studying my, the Word of God. I do a lookup on spirits of in my computer, and there's hundreds of them. Well, many of them are spirits of God, and many of them are spirits of evil. All kinds of spirits of lying, and all, just on and on and on. So finally, I come over to Luke chapter 13, verse 11, where it says, And the woman which had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years in her flesh and could no wise straighten herself up. And when I read the woman had the spirit of infirmity, the Lord spoke to me right there in an audible voice. He said, Son, you have one of those living in your body. I said, Lord, I have a spirit of infirmity living in my flesh. I said, Lord, infirmity means sickness or weakness, and I am not sick, and I am not weak. So what in the world would it be? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a demon? He said, yes, son, and in my name you have authority over it. Now, I'd only had that for 30-plus years since I was a young teenager. I turned right there and done something that would have curled the toes of most Baptists. I turned and looked down at my feet, and I said, You foul spirit of infirmity, I command you to come out of me and go to the pit of hell and never return in the name of Jesus. You spirit of athlete's foot, I take authority over you and I drive you out in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you for giving me power over the devil. And I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and I have never had a reoccurrence of athlete's foot in my life. And that's been years and years and years ago. So when you want to know something... You don't go ask a doctor of theology. <laughs> That's just like the other day. I was speaking in a place with a man that speaks Hebrew perfect. 
he teaches Hebrew in a seminary. And I was teaching in the same place he was, and I've never been to a seminary. And he made this statement in front of thousands of people. He said, it's amazing that Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to him and said, all of this belongs to me. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give it to you. He said, the devil's stupid. It all already belonged to Jesus. When he came off of that platform, I went to dinner with him that evening. I said, sir, one of us don't understand the word of God. He said, what do you mean? I said, you made this statement. I told him what he said. He said, well, sure, that's what it means. I said, no, sir. I said, in the beginning, the world, the systems to this world were given to us. But I said, we gave it to the devil, and we transferred our allegiance and our dominion to the devil. And he became the god of this world, and he became the prince of the power of the air of this world. And I said, what he was offering Jesus was true. It legally belonged to him because he got it by deception, but it belonged to him. And I said, that statement you made is incorrect. He looked at me and said, you are absolutely right. I said, here you are, a doctor of theology, speak Hebrew perfect, and teaching Hebrew, and a little engineer that don't know the first word in the Hebrew understands that scripture better than you do. I said, I got that directly from the king. So you need to make sure you spend more time with God when you make those kind of statements. Isn't that amazing? He agreed with me. Then we sat there and talked for a little while, and I said, now I'm going to show you where you questioned me about the atonement. And we went through every scripture, and when we got through, he said, you're absolutely right. Healing is definitely in the atonement. I thought, my goodness gracious. You want to know why we're messed up? I'm going to tell you, we don't believe the book. Jesus will heal you. He will heal you every time if you believe. I mean, there's many people. I mean, just like I think about Beth back there. I didn't even know she was back there. But I think about what we saw the Lord do to Johnny that night. And then I think about her friend that was out in California. In fact, that night after, Beth came to me kind of in a daze. She said, Thurman, that's awesome. Johnny, I know him. And I know he's been crippled all this time. And said, he's running and walking. I said, well, sure, Beth, it's only Jesus. She said, I've got this friend named Paula out in California. And she's in bad shape. A horse threw her and fell on her. Said, would you call her? I told her, I said, well, my cell phone don't work down here. She said, I'll give you mine. She said, here's her number. Go to the room and call her. So I went to the room and I called Paula. And I talked to her. 30 minutes, because I remember when I pushed the button to hang up, it said 30, the call had been 30 minutes. I called her in California, and I built Paula's faith to the point I needed to build it in 30 minutes and prayed the prayer of faith for her, and a woman that couldn't exist hardly, by the next morning, was completely healed by the power of God. And she's back now in Louisiana, and just like Beth said, in great shape. Isn't it wonderful to pray the prayer of faith and see Jesus show up like that? Now, every one of us should be doing this, should we not? If you've got a spouse that's giving you problems, number one, you need to become the man or the woman that you need to be to change that person. You need to realize that your spouse is not your problem. The devil is your problem. 
So if you've not ever learned how to catch yourself up to the third heaven, you need to learn how to do that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Word of God clearly says that we can come into the throne of grace in times of need for mercy anytime we want to. Where do you think the throne of grace is? In the third heaven. Now, a lot of people think, I've had people say, oh, when I read that, I think about the throne of grace. That's so far away, that's an unobtainable uh, thing. But when you talk about the third heaven, it just made sense to me. Well, regardless of what we call it, that's what it is. The throne of grace is in the third heaven. Because the first heaven we live in is right here we can see. The second heaven occupies the same space. It goes a little further out. But the first heaven is right here. We live in it on this earth. But the second heaven is right here. and It starts in exactly the same space. But the only difference is there's a veil that you and I cannot pass through. Did you know it right here where we are right now, if we could step into the spirit world, we could transfer through a veil, and it's the instant you stepped across this, instantly you would be in the second heaven where Satan and his demons are at. And you could see them. And there are multitudes of them. Billions of them. And they have special groups. And each one's trained to do a different thing. Each demonic spirit is trained. There's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, and the heavenlies. And maybe even more that Paul didn't name. But they're right here. Now, they're as close as, as you can get. And they're waiting for you and I to make a mistake that gives them legal right. Because if they didn't have to have legal right to come into you, you know what Satan would require every demonic spirit to do to everyone that becomes a Christian? Kill them immediately. He hates us. As long as we belong to him and we're living in his world, you're just a number. You're just a number to the devil. And he says he takes those people at will. Just like uh, second, I believe 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, I believe it is, where it says that Satan takes the lost person, takes them captive at his will. So if you're a lost person, you're without hope. The devil's blinded your mind. You will never come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior until somebody learns how to take authority over the evil spirits and learns how to pray for you. When you do that, then you can pray anybody into the kingdom of God. Once you learn how to do that. If you don't know how to do that, I've got a tape back there called Spiritual Warfare. You need to get a hold of it. It will teach you how to do those things. All the scriptures are in that. Teach you how to get your lost loved ones saved. We've seen many people saved. So you can change your mate by learning how to do spiritual warfare. Now, this is what most especially women, try to do. They go with a guy. He's not exactly what they want. Maybe they find him in a bar. Maybe he drinks a little. Maybe he's got a little bad profanity. Maybe he's hooked on a little pornography. But she says, no problem. I don't appear to be able to change him now, but when I marry him, then I'll change him. Let me tell you, that's wrong, girls. That guy's going to be on his best foot when he's going with you until he gets you in bed with him. Once he, once he breaks through and gets you in bed with him as a lost man, he's conquered you, and that's all he wanted. That's where his total interests were. Now, if you marry that guy in that, you're set for a real terrible life. 
don't move in with him either. Because if you move in with him, all he's wanting is to take you, take advantage of you. He'll throw you away like a dish rack, like a paper towel. Only thing he wants is what he's getting from you. If that man is not willing to go with you, provide for you, take you out to dinner, to love you, to marry you, if he's not willing to do that, he don't care about you. If he wants sex with you before he marries you, that man has the wrong things in his heart. No man, no woman should ever be involved in a sexual relationship until they're married. Now, I'm going to tell you, make a statement here that I want you to realize God is in control of all your senses. He can do anything He wants to to your fleshly body. And if you're a man and a woman and you're going together and you have a sexual relationship outside of marriage, you will never enjoy that relationship. It'll just be a moment by moment Maybe satisfaction, but it will not last. You will never get the fulfillment that you want out of a sexual relationship as long as it's not done in a marriage relationship. But if you wait and do it God's way and go to bed together the first time on your marriage or your wedding night, after that, God will move upon both yours and your husband's senses and he will make your sexual relationship the most magnificent, fulfilling thing that you've ever experienced in your life. And both of you will have a lasting satisfaction in your sexual relationship because you did it because you loved God. And when a man and a woman goes to bed, bed together, they should thank God that they have been given each other and ask him to fulfill their desires and their needs. And when you do, your relationship will be wonderful. It'll be the most awesome thing you've ever experienced. But the average person never learned that. They don't know those things. Never pray. Who would ever think about asking God, Lord, I'm going to go to bed with my wife tonight. I ask you to give me the ability to satisfy her in every way. How many men, you know, ask God to do that? Not very many. Isn't it amazing? If you really want to have a tremendous relationship, ask God to bless it. And it will be exactly that. Now, He is a faith God. He is a faith God. So when you walk in obedience to His Word, did He not say, come and ask me for anything and I will do it for you? So what do we not understand about anything? Now, if you have a spouse that's not a loving kind of person and you feel he's the problem or she's the problem, then you need to realize it's not he or she that's the problem. It's the devil that's the problem. And you need to start making sure you're walking in obedience to the Word. What's the first thing you do as a Christian? Worship the King. Read His Word. Make Him number one in your life. If you read the Word, make Him number one in your life and do everything the Lord says to do in His Word, then... When you catch yourself up to the throne of grace and walk into the throne room of God where the Father is in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, I seem to be having a little problem with my spouse down there on earth. 
he or she is not meeting the requirements the Word of God says. So, Lord, I am coming against the devil, which I know is the problem. And I'm kicking the devil out of my spouse's life in the name of Jesus. And I am commanding Satan to get his hands off of me and off of my spouse both because you said in your word that I have authority over the devil and he has to be subject to me. So I am demanding, Satan, that you get out of my life in the name of Jesus and out of my spouse's life. Now, Father, I ask you to move upon my heart and my senses and upon my husband's heart and his senses. And you bring us together in a love relationship that like only you can do in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I want to thank you and praise you because I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk in love. And I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. And I know that you're going to do what you promised. And you're going to change my spouse. And guess what will happen? He'll change your spouse. And it may not happen instantly. It may take a while. Because as he is moving upon your heart, he may have some things in your life he wants to change too. And he may put both of you to the test. Just like getting someone healed. You must make sure all your sins are confessed. You're walking holy before God. Now, if you're already walking holy before God, and maybe you already don't have a spouse, maybe you've been divorced or, or whatever, or maybe you've never been married, but even if you've been married and divorced and you've severed the soul ties, the best thing to do is break, if your husband or your wife before, if you have been through a marriage and divorce, and maybe your mate's already been remarried or whatever, makes no difference, you want to make sure you break every tie between that spouse and yourself. You want to reclaim yourself free from that person, providing, of course, they have already remarried or something else. Because you don't want any of the things they do to bring the devil into your life for sickness and disease. So if you break the tie between yourself and your ex-spouse, if you had one, then when you've broken that, then by faith you can walk totally clean and pure before God. And if you've already contacted some kind of a sickness or disease or a damage to your flesh, which many people have, and... I don't have a clue back there, Sharon. I don't know how many years. Uh, in fact, I've never asked Sharon this question. Sharon, were, were you married whenever you had your back injury? Uh, no, I was, and I was actually living with someone. Oh, okay, but you were living in sin. <laughs> yes. Okay, so okay, so okay. I didn't know. So here's a beautiful lady that was living in sin, and she had a back injury. Later, she got her life straightened up, but while she was living in sin, she was involved in a car wreck that caused a damaging 30-year disease or sickness or an illness or a damage come upon her flesh, and she suffered for 30 years with this problem until she came to this healing school in January, and at that time learned what she needed to do, repented of all of her sins, we touched her in faith, and that day, on January the 13th, I believe it was, 11th, January the 11th, this daughter of the king was instantly healed. Now, is that awesome or is that awesome? Can I tell you something? Yes, sure. Actually, I had already repented of all those sins, oh, okay. but my sin was unbelief still. Oh, okay, okay. But I had repented of everything I could ever imagine, but I still 
had unbelief, okay. which was my major sin. Okay, so there, there again, although she had repented, she had learned by going to church all those years what she had done when she was a younger woman was sin. But see, that sin door had been opened. And when the sin door was opened, it allowed the enemy to come in through a car wreck, put a whiplash on her, allowed an evil spirit to come into her flesh, and now she'd been tormented. Uh, she went about seven years, I think, and then she started having to go to a, a doctor or a chiropractor one to five times a week for the next 23 years. And all that time, and all that suffering, and all that pain, and although she'd repented of everything, she didn't know that she had to drive out the enemy and then lay hands on the sick for healing. But when she came here, she learned that, and we drove out the enemy, laid hands on her. Jesus completely healed his little princess. Now, see, when you learn that, and, of course, you've been very grateful yeah. ever since. I have been so grateful. Praising the King. Life is good. Life is good. What is the moral behind this? Don't live with somebody out of wedlock. Nobody gets by. You pay the consequences. You pay the consequences some way or another. And if you realize that when you commit this terrible sin of sexual immorality, it even causes your children to be handicapped, deformed, all kinds of things because of your sin. I had a man in here the other day that after he heard me talk about this, he said, Thurman, I know how I messed up. He said, my wife and I got married and we had several children and every one of the children were perfectly normal. And then he said, I, like a fool, committed adultery on my wife. He said, then later, my wife and I had another child, and that child was born mentally retarded. And what do you think the chances of that child ever getting healed? Very slim. Okay, we're talking about um, sin. Now, let's say your parents sinned something, because my father had affairs on my mother or whatever and whatever. I have multiple sclerosis and I'm remembering. I was in the hospital a lot in teenage years, not for multiple sclerosis, but for different things. Um, what do you do about that? The only thing I can say that if your parents <coughs> have committed numerous sins, you got a more intensive battle to fight. But you can still win it. You can win it. All it takes is to make sure you've broken every tie between you even and your parents. Every soul tie. Because if they have unholy soul ties, you don't want those soul ties to come to you. But the battle can be won, but it'll be intensive. I think about even Cheryl here, my new bride, her daddy, which has not walked in accordance with God's Word. And he supposedly is a Christian, but he's a normal Christian. You know, don't know nothing about God's Word, typical. But when he was, just a few months ago, she called me and she said, Thurman, my daddy, which is almost 86, is in the hospital and five doctors said he'll never come out of the hospital alive. What do you say? I said, well, if you want to fight the fight of faith for your daddy, it will be an intensive battle. But I said, if you're willing to stay with him and stay with the Word 
and pray and do everything God says, you can bring your daddy out of that hospital. But I said, I can assure you, it'll have to be on your faith and not his, because he don't have any. I said, how old is he? She said, well, he's almost 86. I said, well, honey, he's lived a long, good life. I said, you know, you can't live forever. I said, you could just let him go. She said, but I'm not ready to let him go. I said, okay. Then we're going to have to fight the fight of faith. She said, I'm going to fight that fight. I said, okay. So I prayed the prayer of faith for her, for her daddy. And then she went to the hospital and took the Word of God and began to quote the Word day and night over her daddy. And every time every doctor told her what was going to happen, she stood by faith for her daddy. Now, this is not her daddy doing this. This is her. She's standing in faith for her daddy. She's fighting the fight of faith. She's taking the principles she's learned right here in this church the last two years since she's been coming here, and she is taking the Word of God. She's fighting the fight. And about every week or week and a half, she would call me and say, I've got to have another prayer warrior to help me. I had more contact with her over the phone in that two-month period than I'd ever had all together my whole life with her. And I didn't go to the hospital not one single time. I just prayed with her probably five times in two months over the phone. And she did the rest of it, but she stayed at that hospital with the Word of God, open, quoting, coming against the enemy, fighting the fight of faith, and doctors saying he's never going to live, he's not going to make it, he's not going to make it. She said he's going to make it because the Word says, the Word says, the Word says. And it took 55 days. And in 55 days, the daddy that could not, according to five doctors, could not come out of the hospital alive. In 55 days, he came out completely, totally well. And last Sunday, he walked this beautiful bride of mine right down that aisle and gave her to me right here. You see what happens when you got a daughter that's willing to fight the fight? You think it was his faith got him healed? No. It was her faith because she was not ready to give up her daddy. She was willing to fight two months of intensive battle. You know how much drain it is on you to fight a battle like that day and night? But she was willing to fight the fight. Now, if you're willing to fight that fight and stay in there with God, you can overcome anything today. Anything. But the secret is, don't sin. Walk holy before God so that your children don't have to fight those fights of faith. But the average person has no knowledge today in church what gives place to the devil. And it's sin. Now then, under the new covenant, if we're supposed to walk in total health in the, under the old covenant, the Lord clearly said, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do, I personally will take all sickness and disease away from you and you will have no sickness and no disease. If that was a promise under the Old Covenant, then under the New Covenant, which is a better covenant on better promises, and we have the blood of Jesus, and Jesus came and bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross, then what is wrong with us? I mean, we got this book full of promises, and I just quoted a few promises to you today, just a few of awesome things that we can do in the name of Jesus. So why don't we believe them? How do you mess up a scripture where Jesus said, and these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall lay hands on the sick. You shall cast out devils in my name. And you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. How do you mess that up? You just don't believe it, do you? Or he says in James 5.14, Is any sick among you? Let them come and anoint him with all. Pray the prayer of faith. Confess your faults one to another. And I'll heal you. Every time. It's a guarantee from God. 
Do we believe that? Obviously, we do not. And when a pastor can read that and say, well, if it's God's will, maybe he'll heal you. Hey, that's no faith in that. Now then, in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says, And when you ask anything, whatever it is, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because if you waver on my promises, you are double-minded and unstable in all your ways, and let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. That's James 1, 6 and 7. And then when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, somebody, just like my son, came in one night and I said, Son, where you been? He said, I've been to Bible study in Denton. I said, what did they teach on? He said, prayer. I said, that's a good subject. I said, anything jump off the page? No. Oh, he said, well, he said, sometimes God answers prayer, yes, and sometimes he answers it, no. I said, did he give you a verse? No. I said, so sometimes the promises of God through prayer are yes and sometimes no. I said, with no scripture for that? I said, why don't you run upstairs and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, 19, and 20, and read those three, three statements, and especially verse 20, and see how many of the promises of God are yes and how many of the promises are no. Oh, <clears throat> and the Lord says through the Apostle Paul, for no matter how many promises the Lord made in Christ, if you're in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So if all the promises of God are yes and amen, that means that Sharon and I, when this little girl has already repented of all of her sins that she knew now that she had done all those years, which brought that trauma on that had lasted for 30 years, you think she suffered dearly for being involved in a sexual relationship with a young man way back yonder, and if she didn't know, you think 30 years worth of pain was worth the few times she thought she enjoyed having sex with a boy? You think that's worth it? I don't think so. It wasn't worth it, was it, Sheriff? No. Absolutely not. So see... What she didn't know, I don't know if she's a Christian back there or not at that time, but what she didn't know, she was opening the sin door to a devil. And that sin door was open. Once it opened, in the trauma of the accident, the devil came in, and he was only there 30 years, and he tormented her precious back for 30 years. Wow. That's hard, isn't it? But once she repented, or she'd already repented, but had never driven out the devil. Didn't realize that would drive him out and then speak the word of God. But when we did that that day, January the 11th, she was instantly healed. Isn't that amazing? you got a tremendous battle on your hand, young lady. Sir, I had a question yes, about how, how does Paul's infirmary and when he asked God to take away... Okay, I'll try to answer that in a few minutes. I'm going to have to make a tape on that in its entirety. I get asked that question every time. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Let me explain to you, first of all, there's not one single scripture in the Word of God that says Paul was sick. Not one. Everybody seems to think Paul was sick. The word infirmity means weakness. Sickness, it could mean a lot of things. But, let me put it to you this way, number one. Paul had been given, because of the great revelations that was given to him, Paul had been given a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. 
Now that's what the scripture says. A messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. Now, for this thing, I besought the Lord. This thing is a personality. When you go into the Greek and check that out, you'll find out it was a personality. This thing was a personality. This thorn in the flesh. I went back and checked every scripture in the Hebrew and the Greek, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, that talks about pricks in your eyes, thorns in your flesh, and all those things. And in every example, everyone in the Old and the New Testament, every one of them was a demonic spirit. Every one. So Paul had been assigned a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him because of the great revelations that had been given to him. Now then, Paul was caught up to the third heaven and trained by the Lord. He came back with all these great and wonderful revelations from God so he could write half of the New Testament. And because of these great revelations he had been given, Satan, Satan, when you get saved, Satan sends a special demon to you as a Christian to buffet you and torment you. But with Paul, he sent a team of them. Not just one. He sent several. Because Paul had been given great revelation. Now then, everywhere Paul went, when Paul went over to the Isle of Malta, how many of the sick did he heal on the island? All of them. All the sick. They brought all the sick to Paul, and Paul healed them all. When Paul went over to Ephesus... Paul preached Jesus was not only the Savior, but he was the healer. Now, you don't see a man that's walking or rolling around on a little skid for 38 years, and you don't go over preaching Jesus is the Savior only, and you look over there and you say, I see that you have faith to be healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. What kind of teaching does it take to, have, to teach a man that's been sick and afflicted or had been crippled and, or handicapped and has never walked a day in his life and he's 38 years old, what kind of teaching does it take to build his faith so he can get up off that board and walk? It takes some pretty powerful teaching. That's what I do here. Try to teach you to build your faith so you can get healed. And that's how people get healed. Now, it's wonderful when the anointing shows up when you just walk in and lay hands on somebody and get healed. But if you do that, they get healed. Chances are very quick they're going to be sick again because they don't know how. They didn't know what brought it in the first place, so they go right back out and do the same sin again. And first thing you know, that devil is back and they're sick and again, and maybe even worse the second time. So you've got to stop doing what you're doing. If you're sick and afflicted, you've got to stop doing what you've been doing and changing your ways. But with Paul, Paul went over there to Ephesus and he preached that Jesus was not only the Savior, but he was the healer and he was the deliverer. And as he preached, he built that man's faith, and that faith of that man got so strong that Paul could literally see in that man's eyes, I see that you have faith to be healed. Now, what if Paul had been sick? Let me put it to you like this. I come here, I teach you that Jesus is a healer, and he come to heal everybody every time, and I am so weak or um, handicapped or whatever, or I've got some kind of a serious problem, and I can't get healed myself, and I'm going to teach a healing school, and I'm going to teach you how to be walk in divine health, and I'm sick, how many of you are going to come? Hey, if you can't get healed, if, oh, I've only been sick 47 times this year, but I'm pretty good shape. <laughs> Out of 52 weeks, I've only been sick 47. So I'm going to teach a healing school, and I'm going to teach people how to get well. That's just like a man come to me one day, and he said, I'm going to teach people 
how I'm going to teach a marriage counseling course. I said, if there's anybody that I would not come to a counseling course about marriage, it would be you. He said, why? I said, you've been married and divorced three times. Well, he said, I've learned a lot. I said, you know who I want to go here teach a counseling course on marriage? A man that married one woman that's got a happy marriage, that's got children that are walking obedience to God's Word. That man learned something. But I said, if you've been married and divorced three times, I will not come to your, your teaching. Obviously, you don't know how to get along with one woman or two women or three women. And if you can't get along with one of three, I don't want you. I don't want nothing you've got to say. Now, that's just the way I am, folks. I mean, that'd be kind of like me saying, I'm going to teach you how to work on air conditioners. You ever worked on one? Oh, yeah, at least a hundred. Did you ever make one of them work? Well, not yet. <laughs> Never made one of them work yet, but I'm going to teach you how to be an air conditioning mechanic. Now, if you say, yeah, I've worked on a hundred and every one of them works perfect, hey, then I, got, I want to listen to what you've got to say. But if what you're doing is not working, I'm not interested in what you've got. That makes sense? That's the thing about Paul. Paul was not sick. Paul was not afflicted. And they said, well, but Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. I said, that's right. I have left a lot of people sick I prayed for. Jesus promised to heal the sick. He didn't promise to do a miracle on every one of them. So whenever I pray for people, lots of people I prayed for did not get miraculously healed right there. Several of the people has taken a few days to a few weeks. Now, many of them have been miraculously healed. Like Sharon back there, she was healed virtually instantly, weren't you, Sharon? I mean, that day on January 11th, she was healed after 30 years. And that's what we love to see God do. Well, now see, that's what He'll do for a little daughter that's got all of her sins confessed, walking holy before Him, but she just didn't understand what caused the problem. But here, He healed her instantly. But there's many of you here that He has healed instantly. But all of you, He does not do that. All of you, He does not do that with. But He will heal all of you, providing you stand on His Word with no doubt in your heart. He will heal you. But you have to stand and you have to believe and your confession has to be right. You can't go out here saying, Oh God, I had Thurman pray for me and I don't feel no better. Lord, is this working? I hope it is. Forget it. With that kind of an attitude, it will not work. There's no faith in that. You've got to believe it with no doubt in your heart. Your confession has got to be, Lord, it's done. Because your word says it, it is done. And that's what you've got to do. That's the, that's the attitude you have to leave with. Lord, if you bore my sickness and removed my disease, then praise God, I've got all my sins confessed. I'm going to walk holy before you. And he says, oh, you are? You confessed all your sins? Well, yes, Lord, and I'm going to walk holy before you. He said, okay. I'm going to let you start getting well little by little, and I'm going to find out if you're going to do what you promised. So little by little, you're walking in obedience, and you're getting better, you're studying the Word, you're doing all the things, and every day you get a little better and a little better and a little better. You know why He doesn't heal you instantly in those cases? Because a lot of you in that case has not been in the Word. You've not been praising Him and worshiping Him in the first place. So He knows... If under your conditions now, your sickness, you're not worshiping and praising Him. If He heals you instantly, wow, you're just going to be back out there doing what you love to do. And you're going to forget Him. And He knows that. So He's not going to heal you under those conditions. He heals you to do His work on the earth. And that's what you've got to do. Yes, ma'am. I'll try to answer it. 
Uh, what if, uh, explain taking the medicine, uh, doctor, uh, what the doctor prescribed? Uh, I'm still having faith to be healed. Well, uh, you, you have to, God will meet you right where your faith is. If you know that you know that you know in your heart, not your head, that Jesus healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago, if you know it's a done deal, then when you, whenever you and, and the Word become one and you know that He healed you, you stop taking medicine. You won't need it no more. Now, I, 20 years ago, I, I haven't had an aspirin or an anison. Don't matter what happens to me, nothing. I take no medication. I have no such thing in my house. Not me. I don't have nothing. Now, I mean, you won't never see a medicine bottle that I have. I won't buy one. I won't buy an anison, nothing. I only trust Jesus. Now, then, I, I, when you say a medicine bottle, I don't have medicine bottles, but I do have bottles of stuff that I do go through. In fact, I'm going through right now, a colon cleanse. I'm taking the stuff that's, that's necessary that I got right here from Fred to go through a colon cleanse because I want my body to be clean. And I know that by faith you can do great things, but I also know this is, this is a flesh body. And I know that some of the stuff I put in it, even though I put it in there, you know, under prayer and everything else, I know some of that stuff can mess up certain parts, and I want it to be clean. And I know that God has made certain things that I can take and put in this body that will cleanse different parts of my body. And I want my body to be clean. Because a lot of people that die, die because their colons are stopped up. And that's what causes most of our problems. So I want mine to be clean. So it's kind of like, I know I don't do it often enough, but my car, my bride got on me pretty heavy the other day. And she said, you expect me to ride in this dirty car <laughs> with my beautiful dresses? You need to wash this thing. And I'll agree. I do need to wash it. But up until a week ago, I didn't have a beautiful woman with beautiful clothes riding around in my car. So there's no, much, no, no reason for me to clean the beast up very often. But now I need to clean it up more often. Right, Jays? <laughs> These girls are different. They want pretty things, you know, so us old guys are a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, if you, if you don't have the faith hidden in your heart and you still believe you have to take medicine, at least take the medicine in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm not there yet. I don't believe I can throw away this medicine. But Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to make this medicine work perfect in my flesh. And I take it in prayer and I ask you to bless it, and I ask you to curb any side effects that this medicine could have on my flesh. Because you said in your word that no deadly poison shall hurt me. And some of the medicines you take are technically deadly poisons. Some of them are literally deadly poisons. And when you look at them, the pharmacy drugs, when it says, under no conditions, if you have this certain certain problem, don't take this because it can cause heart failure or it can cause kidney failure. Are the side effects from this drug, although you're taking it for this part, can cause your liver to fail? Forget it. I'm not taking that. I'd rather walk by faith than take that. So anyway, but everybody's not there, I realize. So if you are taking medicine, take it in the name of Jesus. But the best thing to do is get to the point where you don't need the medicine. Make sure every sin is confessed. Make sure you're walking in obedience to God's Word. And then believe what the Word says and take it. Take no medicine and bless everything that you put in your physical body and then walk in divine health. You can do it. 
Now, we have seen many, many people healed at these healing schools. And today, as we finish here today, all of our tapes back there, we got many, audio and videos. You're welcome to take as many as you want, audio and video. Pass them around to your friends. Get people saved, healed, and delivered. And I know I can't answer everybody's questions in these healing schools, but i got many tapes. Hopefully, they'll, you'll have your questions answered back there. But what I'm going to do right now, we're going to close with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to pray for everybody that needs to be prayed for. Get Wendell to come up here with me, and when we do this, and we'll, we'll pray, and, and anybody else that's a, a strong faith prayer warrior that wants to come up, and I have several of them here, and anybody that has a need, we will pray for you. We will rebuke the devil. And I, before you come up now, I want you to make sure that all your sins are confessed. And then I want you to find you a scripture that we've talked about, one of the promises we've talked about today, that will guarantee you God will do for you what he said he will do. Because he's the healer. I'm not the healer. I just get to speak it. But when we believe him, he will do it. Now, you've got to remember, just like my granddaughter, I did not get Caitlin healed overnight. It took two weeks to get the face fixed. It took a month to get the little body where I could even get her out of ICU. And then it took from there, uh, it took about the three total months to get her eyes reconnected where she could see. It took ten months to get the valve reconnected in her throat where she could eat by mouth. And slowly but surely, but with no surgeries and no medication, just the Word of God brought that little girl back from the dead. So if you have faith, realize that not every time does God just zap down and do a miracle. And of course, I, I know what would have happened. If God had to reach down and done an instantaneous miracle on my granddaughter, my son-in-law would still not be nowhere close to where he is. But... For a young man that knew so little about the Lord through this entire ordeal has brought my son-in-law to a new place with the Lord. And it's also brought him to a new place with his daughter. Because up until my daughter, my daughter, his wife, died in that car wreck three years ago. I mean, Caitlin was just something that happened out of a sexual relationship. I mean, on Saturday, forget it, he goes to the golf course and plays golf. You know, he's working. He's a normal guy. He just wanted a woman at home to have sex with at night when he come home. And it brought forth children. He didn't know how to love. He didn't know what it was. He was not raised up in a home that knew what love was. His mother and daddy didn't know what love was. Didn't have a clue. But he was raised up under those circumstances, like so many. But God has taught my son-in-law how to love as he has brought his little daughter back from the dead, slowly, step by step. He has literally fell in love with his daughter. It has totally changed his life and the way he does business. And God knew all that. And I'm grateful. And the Lord's still changing him, still making him a better daddy. So who knows? But he will heal you. He will do great things for you. All you've got to do is believe. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're grateful for another day, another healing school. We're grateful for this day, Lord. You're such a mighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Lord, as we pray for the people, I ask you to heal everyone that needs healing. And I ask you to restore them. And I ask you to do miracles here today. And miracles of healing and miracles of all kinds. And then, Lord, move upon every person's heart 
that everyone here that needs to be healed, today the healing process will start and continue on. And may you use them in a mighty way to bring glory and honor to your name. And we praise you and thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.